Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Show, your premier media response show. Today we're talking comics and you can find us at X's for Show on all your socials. As for me, I'm Nico and you can check me out at Nico Action. It's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm TK. You can find me haunting the FBI at TK Elemental. That makes me your producer, Kevo, and you can find me at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Why are we haunting the FBI? I believe that is a question for today's episode. Yeah, so- that's uh, that's just how Ghost Rider and Co. roll these days. It's of course. Uh, let's let's get the government in the mix and get spooky because it's almost Halloween, which is not a federal holiday, but maybe this is the best appeal we've seen so far. So let's talk about what it is. We're here uh, yeah. to talk about Weapons of Vengeance, yep. which is the Ben Percy penned wolverine and ghost rider event spinning out of both of his titles uh ghost rider and wolverine right so right and um there were two additional sorry you know know, i i posted it when i was doing a a a twitter post for it but amazingly this is now the first complete crossover event of the fall of x era which i just think is funny like you know we're we're into it already like we're we're so there that we could have a full crossover yeah and i mean one of the things that this really brings to mind is the incredibly complex history between wolverine and ghost rider oh man who, oh man they have been running around together for a thousand years but this event focuses on uh four issues featuring johnny blaze and wolverine primarily alongside longtime ghost rider and wolverine antagonist mephisto sort of kind of and we're going to talk about all the ways that's kind of a misleading statement to make in (laughs) regard to this event but i also want to mention that we're going to take a look at the complex history of these two guys however we love to kick this shindig off with a question and today's question as it is is would you rather be a Wolverine or a Ghost Rider? You know, I gotta level. I'm a more of a Wolverine guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, Wolverine... Ugh, it's tough. Because, like, you know, if you're asking me who goes on... I guess it's, I've gotta be a Wolverine. Yeah, you know, if you're I, a Wolverine. If I could pick the either one, I'd maybe, yeah. like... I'd be like, oh, Robbie Reyes. Like, I would yeah. go for one in particular. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's the, the game we're playing. So I would be a Wolverine, I think. So it's, do you want to be? Um, do you want to be a Wolverine? No, I'm sorry. I phrased that wrong. You have to pick. <laughs> you have to tell what you are. That's what you're saying. Yes, pick. Are yeah. you a Wolverine? Or you are a Wolverine inside. That is 100% correct. You are the uh, the redheaded stepchild of the Wolverines who likes to laugh and smile, but also just fuck shit up when the time comes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am obviously a ghost rider. Uh, I am the uh black sheep of the ghost rider family in that amazingly I'm the most upbeat of the bunch. Uh I am the least angsty, but I am in fact a ghost rider uh through and through and I don't want to say what my what my mode of conveyance is because I'm really hoping one day they let me write Ghost Rider and yeah no yeah just yeah keep keep that to you you want it to be a surprise yeah yeah but it's terrible well, uh, you know I'd like to think of you as like do you remember when we read um, the book that gave us Kushala one yeah. of the most incredible Ghost Riders the first yeah. Ghost Rider slash she's why I'm a Ghost Rider Supreme, right there's that. Uh, Sorcerer Supreme Nate Gray just kind of yes. hovering in the background. Who I think about all day long. 
you're sort of the psionic death metal of uh, Ghost Riders. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, th I mean, I think that's death metal is very generous. It's definitely emo that your parents think is death metal, but it is really just like, say, Ocean. But listen, your cover is still going to be loud. death metal. Yeah. Yeah, too loud for sure, Kevo. Yes, Absolutely. it's definitely, it's too loud. Uh, it turns out all the lyrics are actually really upbeat. Oh, just so you don't like this. Um, that, was, that was some, um, that was some excellent static acts. Some Klingon you know. opera shit right there. <laughs> but yeah, you're a Wolverine. I'm a Ghost Rider. That's why we team up so well. Uh, and weirdly, like, just to jump right to the end, the very end of this, Wolverine ends up with like a friend. Uh, like the two of them have two very tender moments of uh, being friend. Like Wolverine ends most of his crossovers being like, I don't like you, but I guess we both saved the day. But these two are like, man, we're both monsters, aren't we? And um, also, as I posted on Twitter earlier, there is just something so tender about riding a motorcycle one motorcycle two men and wolverine has to sort of hold ghost rider from behind and just clutch him tightly and of course that's for safety but it doesn't hurt that it's also very tender safety of the heart but the the bit the gag mm -hmm. as it were yeah yes. i appreciate this... your interpretation of it as a <laughs> this does moment. go a step further that i left out but it is that much like uh, if Ghost Rider had long, wild hair that was whipping in Wolverine's face as it's fire, it horribly burns his face and he is charred and has to put himself out by like rolling on the ground. Uh, but I will say also that that panel of them post motorcycle ride has a very uh, post coital man. We just set that bed on fire vibe. You know, that's something that, like, I think is so funny all the time where, and this is just to, like, express something a little bit weird about this whole crossover. Kevo, can mm -hmm. you bring up the slide with all of the iterations of all of the characters for me? So, is that the first one? Yeah. Something right. that I think is really interesting is when people are like, oh, gays are just all femsy, soft bottom boys. Mm -hmm. Except those same people often say, but which one of you is the guy and which one of you is the girl? So there's sort of an acknowledgement that there's kind of like a sliding scale to these things. There's male and, and female identities. And so then when people are like, oh, you're all a bunch of Nelly queens, you know, like it's, it's all femme. But you also even acknowledge there's a guy and a girl. So couldn't it also just be all guys? And like, I think the American gladiators sort of spock kirk tender hold of it all really comes through and you know i'm so glad you even brought that up right away because that's why i picked the most famous image of logan about to nail nightcrawler in the world uh to put in the upper left hand corner i mean that's a canon cover guys that canon cover is literally hanging in this office is that uh, you said rubik yeah yeah he literally said i knew what i was doing when i drew that cover yeah i was shocked marvel didn't catch it mm -hmm. And uh, so you just have like real queer trend out Wolverine enjoying the view and who wouldn't? So like I mean, it's also like comics always can do that and often will like that's the, you know, for all I'm like, Wolverine is just holding Ghost Rider so tenderly. That is clearly nobody's intention. 
and it is also fully possible for a man to ride on a motorcycle with another man and hold on to him like that in a way that is not even tender like that is just yeah no when i hold my boyfriend when we're riding his bike it's not because it's it's tenderness it's because i don't want to die right uh i still maintain you'd hold the rails on the back but you know whatever i'm kidding um it is a static visual image and therefore unless you are working some real mojo with a certain set of sequences when you have just one frame like that yeah you the reader get to interpret that however you want if your wolverine is a bisexual polyamorous father of everyone you maybe see him and think like when he meets somebody that is his people this wolverine gets a little tender and johnny blaze is somebody who is so starved for affection and joy that maybe he just lets it happen and that one panel allows for it but also don't worry like i'm not saying this is the must believe canon you must accept this no i see it and that's cool like, for me i have friends and this is like i have friends that i've turned off our sexual or they've turned off our sexual or we've both turned off our sexual relationship at different points in our friendship you know as somebody who continues to have you know sexual relations i have mm, friends congratulations like oh geez and so <laughs> uh, um mm. but so like as somebody in that situation it's like, you know, I imagine that Logan does have people that he can, you know, snuggle up with and then, like, kind of turn it off with. And yeah. that's fine. Yeah. And I think the part that blew my mind is when I did the math on this episode, Logan's introduced in 1974, Johnny Blaze in 1972. Johnny Blaze disappears from canon from 1982 to 1991. And so all of that time there is no way for wolverine to meet ghost rider and he doesn't on panel meet him in those seven or eight years in fact the first major crossover is logan with noble kale in the body uh sort of in the body yeah we'll just say with dan catch with dan catch and it's crazy well, and this is really uh, weapons, well, not weapons of vengeance, but the issues five and six are their first crossover together. Every other time for Wolverine, it's Danny Ketch. Yeah. And, um, and in five and six, we get told that like Wolverine just kind of knows Johnny Blaze and like knows where to go look for him to help him do the motorcycle race from hell uh but where everybody shows up in their 90s clothes it's amazing yeah it's that is just a fantastic couple issues it's completely it's a uh, nonsense of beauty yeah ex couldn't have put it better myself but yeah i mean like they uh wolverine has spent a good amount of time with dan ketch and uh up until recently no time with johnny blaze and then I actually, I did myself a disservice with this image. When I had Kevo make this image, I was like, oh, we're only going to go as far as Circle of Four because the last big point, and by the way, we know that we are not doing the new Fantastic Four. Uh, we're just not doing it. Um, it's by Walt Simonson, and then Eric Larson does some, and then Peter David does some. Is it's Wolverine the, in it? 
It's the famous replacement of the Fantastic Four with Hulk, Wolverine, uh, Spider-Man, and Ghost Rider. Right. It first appears in the pages of Fantastic Four. It's made to look like the Fantastic Four have been murdered and a scroll posing yeah. as the Invisible Woman. Can It's like one of those famous two-parters in history or three-parters. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen like 16 or 17 appearances of this team. Yeah, I just which I didn't think about. That is that is a way that Johnny and Wolverine know each other. No, yeah. that's Dan Ketch too. Oh, yeah. That's it's. There's literally no point in canon, but there, and that actually comes right after the MCP issues we're gonna look at. So there's just no point that it made sense to do those issues though, because there's yeah. like 16 or 17 appearances of that team alone. So we kind of yeah. skipped it. But we do cover Circle of Four in Venom because mm -hmm. it has the unbelievable Laura as uh, she's technically at 23 at the time, but mm -hmm. Laura as Wolverine fighting alongside uh, Alejandra Jones, the least published ever ghostwriter. That is right. Kushala has eclipsed Alejandra because they did her the disservice of killing her a couple of years ago. Hopefully she comes back. She's a one of a kind ghostwriter. I mean, That's they did the sure. disservice of writing her poorly so often. Uh, well, when they fucking wrote her. Right, right, exactly. That's, you know, there's nothing worse than being a character that gets few appearances and then they're just not great. Uh, and it's it happens so much with these darker edge characters yep. where the vibe is just like, um, ooh, they're so hard. Whoops, we forgot to make them likable. So it's just like, I don't, you know, even though I see the potential of this character, nobody has written them in a way where I'm like, yes, this one who's got the great attitude and the great banter and the sense of humor. That's what makes Kushala so amazing, even though she is a ghost rider and very hard and like very uh, of very fucked up circumstances. There is a piece of her that is so um, existentially deep and beautiful and not just like, a, oh, everything's gritty and dark that she just comes off as really cool and really interesting to follow and you see that alejandra they never really got there well they did ultimately get there with robbie reyes in literally the appearance that follows what we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about is still kind of a rough road but we're also going to look at an arc of Ghost Rider, which might be the greatest team of all time, Amadeus Cho, Laura as Wolverine, and uh, Robbie Reyes as Ghost Rider teamed up with Silk as their Spider-Man, making them a new Fantastic Four. Um, really, really excellent uh, story setup, but the actual book itself is kind of plagued by what I call visiting writer syndrome. We're going to get into that, but where we're going to start Yep. is with the big hot boy that just came out. Uh, pay attention to him. He's shiny. He's flexing. He's up in the mirror. So we're going to get to some of those classic stories in a little bit. But I want to kick things off by taking a look at Weapons of Vengeance Alpha, Ghost Rider 17, Wolverine 36, and Weapons of Vengeance Omega. If we can flip to the next slide. I want to start with, I'd included numbers five and six of ghost rider on this slide and ask yeah. Kebo to pop them on because it turned out they were ultimately important what this event taught me is that marvel's actually learned one or two lessons i just want to start with that 
the biggest complaint I have about all of my favorite Weapon X stuff is it's like 17 issues and like it never ends. And it's things like Wolverines, which runs 20 issues, six of which matter. Or it's Weapon X by Frank Thierry, which is beautiful and gorgeous and incredible. And he worked so hard to make it so good. But because the editorial team at the time had a mandate from corporate to make everything fit in with a voice, it actually kind of doesn't work out of its era in any way. So I find myself impressed that what would have been issue one of a long Wolverine and the Dark X-Men kind of book would have kicked off with some image of looking at the you know hell ranch or whatever you know it's basically the neverland ranch for hell that's that's what it is and neverland ranch is a, a reference to uh weapon x by thierry um this would have been 36 issues and i would have hated it it would have been terrible because there's only 12 issues of story here ben percy almost did himself a disservice making this only four issues admittedly two of them are double length so i will say that this is a little bit closer to five or six but probably my single favorite ben percy work in x-men i was pleased i was really pleased too um and you know i don't know that marvel has learned any lessons i think percy uh, this wasn't they didn't make him make this 36 issues there were no tie-ins featuring all the other ghost writers there were no one shots with akihiro I don't. Uh, I still don't know that I believe that Marvel had any part of that. I think that might have been <laughs> Percy's pitch right off the bat. Percy That's, just went up to anybody who offered to write it and was just like, "Have you seen how big I am?" I mean, a little bit, yeah. Um, I do think giving this a little a little seed in early Ghost Rider uh, is an interesting touch. Percy is one of those guys that like i don't know maybe i'm just giving him a pass and not giving other people a pass wolverine showing up randomly in issues five and six and then doing this crossover to me is less offensive than emma frost marrying jerry duggan's other darling solo series writer iron man okay I yeah. just need to intercept. Come on. I, I'm not even, I want to say interact, intercept. Yeah. And I, I just want to pull the curtain back on, co on comics for a second. Sure. Mark Wade's literally perfect. I don't know. I think it is the most perfect thing Marvel has ever published. The history of the Marvel universe one through six. Yes. Is, you do love that. It is like the most beautiful book I've ever held in my hand. I have the treasury edition. Emma Frost marrying Tony Stark is in there. Yeah. And I had the entire Exes for, I guess, podcast at that point team talk about it. Yeah. And um, one, two, three, four, 117% of them said, fuck this, I hate it. Yeah. And I was like, no, you're all wrong. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. You're wrong because of that scene in Civil War where she's like, no, we once dated. I would never date you again. And at the time, Emma Frost was saying, I would never date Scott Summers again. So I don't think that there's a whole lot of ground on somebody as powerful as emma frost being forced to stick with a single moment's decision if she suddenly saw value in tony stark i'm fine with it the only thing i'm trying to get at is i think they maybe said to jerry duggan look this carrot this beautiful sexy carrot you want the carrot eat the carrot and what's jerry duggan gonna say he's a straight white man working in comics he's gonna eat the fucking carrot you know what i mean yeah i will say my problem has never been uh 
you know, Emma said, I won't ever date Tony Stark again and we need to stick to that. <laughs> I okay. I actually could see Emma dating Tony a lot and being like, I don't know why. It's that he's rich, that he has good taste, and that he's dumb as a rock emotionally. So I don't have to we can just date. He's he's my my no or strings attached. Yes. He's my no strings attached fuck buddy friend with the Basquiat of facial hair. That's the one. Uh, the idea that she would marry him. Uh, I the only way I will like it, and admittedly we're coming up to it right now. I did not read those issues before jumping on air. But if she is, uh, if it's a marriage of convenience and money, uh, I think it's funny. Otherwise, I'm not really here for it. Um, it just, if nothing else, all of that is just like plot stuff. But uh, to me, for some reason, and again, I think this is me. I don't think anybody's doing anything wrong. Jerry Duggan's Iron Man being so much a part of X life right now makes much less sense to me than Wolverine crossing over with Ghost Rider. Uh, I don't know. Like, that's just a vibe thing. Right here, right now. Pitch. Ready? Marvel needs to get the 20 biggest writers they want to work with. Mm-hmm. Not the 20 biggest writers in, in comics yeah. right now, right? Because there's people who need to come back. Yep. And like, you know, Mike Carey doesn't have a book on the stands, which is the dumbest move in comics. Yeah. Right? I don't care if Mike Carey's books don't sell a zillion copies. If you look at every X book right now, every X book uses as many threads of X-Men legacy as they right. do new X-Men. Yeah. So just catch what's happening. Look at the trends, right? Yep. Marvel should take their hundred biggest characters, throw them in a box, and say, "Everybody, start, start, uh, you know, drafting. Start Pick drafting those characters out." Yep. We should move Wolverine somewhere that isn't the X Men because the X Men have so many books that it's poison to Logan. Yep. Logan is hi. I guess I am a Wolverine. Logan is an attention whore. I don't always want a microphone, but if you're going to put a microphone in front of me, I'm going to give you a tight ten. That is that is such a Wolverine thing, too. He will always say, I didn't ask for this, but boy, do you acquit yourself well to this when it is thrust upon you. Like, Wolverine is the actual problem with fuckboys, right? Like, one of the things I loved about being a fuckboy for the hot minute, I just, I still am. But one of the things that's fun about being, like, you know, like a slutty gay Chad is that... Um, when people are like, you know, oh, that girl dressed sexy, she had it coming. First of all, that woman. Second of all, no, she didn't. Third of all, she gets to dress however makes her feel good. The thing that shocks me is the comic iteration of those same guys making those comments about women dressed like Wolverine and then are kind of like, don't sexualize me, bub. And you want to be like, no, dude, you have the junkiest junk on junk display today. And you're literally doing what you're accusing other people of not that yep. wolverine has ever been a woman is asking for a kind of guy but that sort of character mentality that gruff badass yes. guy yep. right and so i think that that really is highlighted in what you're saying logan is the king of i didn't ask for this but oh is are my claws on display hi claws. i didn't i didn't want to be headmaster of the school but you know boy am i gonna headmaster harder than charles xavier himself i had these business cards ready <laughs> <laughs> just you never know when you're gonna need them yeah kitty's like i drafted up those contracts several years ago they literally have a list of people that he's fine with taking over the school for 
So, yeah. To your original point, uh, yeah, I think you make, you know, start drafting characters and, you know, be Jerry Duggan and Ben Percy. Get your two random books and make them gel. I do think, actually, that is a really good point. It's not that I'm like, Jerry Duggan shouldn't do this. I think it doesn't happen enough. And so it stands out. And if you are uh, lucky and talented and every the stars kind of align, you have a Percy moment. Uh, and I just I think it's right on a ton of levels. I have said since really I think I started doing the show, I love Percy as a horror writer. Uh, he's a great X-Force and Wolverine writer. It's just not always 100% my favorite thing ever. Uh, his Ghost Rider... <laughs> For Marvel horror, for Marvel genre iconographic stuff, he is really up there. He really is one of my favorites. So, uh, you know, things are just lining up for him. Wolverine acquits himself well to horror. Ghost Rider's a great horror book. Percy's a great horror writer. Does Tony Stark play well with the X-Men? Is Jerry Duggan a great romance with a side of sass writer i think these things are a little less certain than percy kills at horror and ghost rider's a great horror character but i think if we were seeing so many people do it you know leah williams taking like a boom boom and uh like the mandarin i don't know you know really having to do like that kind of slutty grindhouse plus somebody who maybe doesn't fit into it. There are so many people that I can think of that would play well with a genre and some characters uh, in a way that I think, exactly as you said, Logan isn't doing anything for the X-Men anymore. Um, we've, we've seen it a billion times. The X-Men are as popular as they're going to be. Logan is not really going to be the thing that tips a standard X book over maybe a really like obscure one, but not, not an X-Men or an uncanny, but he can do a lot for a ghost rider. And you find this synergy between the characters that can do a lot for both of them. And I think that's what you see a lot in this book or in this crossover. And I think when we call it a crossover, the thing that I was most noticing is yeah. This maybe didn't feel at all like Percy's Wolverine, other than maybe bad guy came out of nowhere. Oh, shit. Like, other than, oh, shit, bad guy, I didn't really feel like this stunk of Percy's Wolverine. And I don't mean that like any other way than Logan would say, this stinks of this. You know yeah. what I mean? My question sort of becomes... What is the nature of the obligation to upholding corporate sponsor standardship? Like, I couldn't come up with the actual term that means what I'm trying to say. So I guess I have to say it in an eco way. All right. When Belinda Carlisle was like, I'm done being one of the bang, uh, the go-go's. Sorry. Sorry, Susanna. You know, you're my girl. Belinda, you're fine. Um, all right. Let's go with the bangles then. When, Where are you going with this, Bubba? When Susanna was like, I'm going to leave the bangles. I'm going to try and do some solo stuff. She no. basically was like, I'm going to strike out and do bangles music, but I can still do music. And it's still Susanna Hoff's voice doing bangles songs, even if I'm solo. Rob Thomas is smooth, even if it's Carlos Santana, who actually he wanted Michael Jackson to sing it, not himself. Um, if it's. You know, anybody who goes solo from a band, imitating that sound is easy and recognizable because a singing voice is a singing voice. 
when to use a little bit more crass of an example, uh, somebody leaves a porn studio to start an OnlyFans, their sex is their sex and it's still them. But if somebody like Percy wants to say everybody who's loved me at Marvel on Ghost Rider doing horror should follow me to my, I don't know, the comic equivalent of OnlyFans is Substack. And in that case, yikes, right? So when you're looking at it from that perspective, Ben Percy is in a social obligation to his success to stay with Marvel until a certain level. At which point he'd be able to leave, you know, a guy who I don't have any particular love for the work of, but you got to respect his contributions. Mark Millar recently said that if you think that independent comics thrive without the big two thriving, you are missing the market. And I think Ben Percy is the best example of that. And I think in so many ways, Wolverine is the, if the two sides are... I am an artist dying for my art. Look at me die on the street. And hi, I'm a corporate shill. Here's my cocaine. I think Wolverine is a little bit closer to corporate shill. And I think uh, Ghost Rider is a little bit closer to here in Alphabet City. We know only the shiv. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that also speaks to like Ghost Rider is horror which is so, as I've already said so many times, Percy's lane, that is such a good lane. Uh, Wolverine isn't not his lane. Wolverine is not anybody's lane. It's you, you flame out in it or you don't, but you can never own it. It can never really be yours. The best you can do is be successful. Uh, most people are happy with not a disaster. Uh, and I think Percy has done a really fantastic job of not blowing up in Wolverine, not embarrassing himself, not dragging the character down to really bad places. He's made a bunch of choices I wouldn't necessarily do if I were writing and that I don't necessarily want to import into my personal canon. Uh, but taking the character and using him to lift up this section of the Marvel Universe and this character that isn't particularly, uh, super exciting to fandom at this moment, I think has really been all around, um, a, a smart move. I also get what you're saying insofar as like this isn't really like an issue of Wolverine. At the same time, this Wolverine book, the way it has been kind of modular and has been a bunch of like really discrete storyline arcs. What a great word, modular, like a tour of Wolverine's selves. Like yes. this would be better to a Wolverine anthology in a lot of ways. It is essentially a Wolverine anthology. Yeah. Like, you know, because when he's doing uh solemn let's explore our bisexuality storylines with the beast of the hand, those finish and then immediately like often with no uh bleed over, it's like what's Quentin Quire doing now that I have to go fix? And then we're into That's the problem. Okay. okay. You said it in one name. Q -Q? His X-Force and his Wolverine are bratty. 
And Ben hmm. Percy is like a strong, powerful, dominant man. Like his writing drips with an unfortunate amount of testosterone that I think sometimes might be preclusive to certain qualities of reader. Yes. Um, and they miss out on a lot of great, like I'll not to put anybody out there, but I know that there have been times that your partner, Jake, who I think is one of the smartest comic people I know does not has, enjoy Wolverine or X-Force. Yeah. They're just yep. not there. They're just not, you know, Jake's style. And yep. Jake is one of the smartest people in comics I know. So it's not like Jake has bad taste. It's that there is a preclusivity to the amount of testosterone that drips off of every page of this. Beyond its problematic nature, I think 100 Bullets is the best 100 issues of any comic book ever in the history of the world. You have to read all 100, and you do need to read the Winter's Edge story. But it's the... I mean, Kevo will tell you I used to like read it once a year and just sit on the floor and cry when I would get to issue 100. Like, yeah. sit on the floor and cry. Because it reminded me what it was like to be human. I know so many people that have read the first trade of 100 Bullets and are like, you're disgusting. I resent you. I regret our friendship because it's just not what they're thinking. I would recommend. And I think there's a certain quality to the extremeness that we're all drawn to in fiction that I think is ghostwriter is the quality of ghostwriter more than anything. Wolverine could be a ghostwriter, but Marvel has certain fiduciary responsibilities to its stockholders, a.k.a. fear of homelessness, that stops them from being like, because like my pitch for Wolverine, and I've said it on the show, and since I've said it on the show so many times, I can point to it over and over again. I'm not worried at this point. But my whole thing is like a magic person needs to be like, Wolverine, you've killed more than anybody else in the Marvel Universe. I'm going to extract the death aura from you, and now it's like a Wolverine symbiote. And like... They would be scared to ever let the definition of Wolverine be pure evil. Even an enemy of the state by the... God, I have to stop mentioning this guy. I'm not even going to say his name anymore. We're just going to say, mm, enemy of the state. Um, Are you talking about Blink-182? Yes, I am. Um, Wolverine is like, if only I wasn't so evil right now. It's even what you see here. He's told kill mutants, and instead he stabs himself in the chest. Like... <laughs> The thing I want to jump back to this arc about to yeah. highlight with everything I'm saying. Yeah. The quality of Percy's Wolverine and the quality of Percy's Ghost Rider are steeped in the traditions of Marvel lore. One of the things that I think a guy like Percy gets the opportunity to do more than somebody like, let's say, a Marjorie Liu is the opportunity to set the standard for the missing canon. Mm -hmm. I pointed out that there are seven or eight years that there could have been overlap between Wolverine and Johnny Blaze. And at that point, neither one of them was, you know, let's go with comic OG, right? Neither one of them was that level. Because the thing that I need to stress is there was no hardcore at the big two in major comics until Frank Miller reared his head back into Daredevil and Batman. Even when Daredevil played Russian roulette with Bullseye in a body cast, that was a one-off that represented an extremity within the run of Miller and Jansen's exquisite Daredevil. So, And it it's was all Comics Code Authority approved. Uh, like, what makes Frank Miller so amazing is that he made it work with the way comics were published back then. It's not even that they are so hardcore. It's that they work based on what will actually get published. And then we get real gun shy from about 1990 
until like kind of recently. And the nature of comics, the nature of comics fear of filling in too much went away the day they said, nah, Wolverine origin. All right. What is your ultimate grade on this? How do you feel about this book? I love the flashbacks to the seventies. Yeah. I love that Wolverine is like, I'm going to kill this kid for walking up to the gates because it is like the sort of shit tastic way people were writing Wolverine. Then it really is that level of insanity. Um, the one thing I will say is Percy is like, you know, Percy is such a method actor. He's kind of a Vincent Gallo Brown Bunny situation. He's saying that if Johnny Blaze has no definitive character, then Chloe Sevigny has to give him a blowjob. Yeah, I don't know where you're going you know, with this. He's saying that if Johnny Blaze doesn't know who he is, then maybe Johnny Blaze just has no character. Maybe we take it all the way. The concern is that we are beginning to sort of lose the point of the art in the in the performance of it. Johnny Blaze has so limited a character in the scope of this arc. He comes off like Wolverine's cool friend with a usable power more than a character. And for that reason, the extremity, the extremeness that we will talk about this arc with the time Logan turned into Ghost Rider, the Helverine is equivalent to oh no i made a movie with a blowjob in it that's gonna be the thing we talk about even though the actual act itself means that the other parts of this film or in this case this comic arc were a little deficient that said i give it an a minus this was a really good time i only wish it had been eight issues i loved this man ben percy this is my favorite idea you've had at marvel this was charming. It was angry. It was ugly. The guy who's like, I want this evil out of me was like, I miss the evil. I guess I'd never realized how addicted to hating evil I was. You can get addicted to hating things, guys. Trust me. I'm addicted to hating how much I love comics. Uh, Yeah. Oh, man. You nailed so much of where my head is at. I think we are seeing this author run this character around and try and hit the walls of the boundaries of who he is. And that is a big wide area. So we don't actually get to see who he is. We get to see exactly where he stops. Uh, And we're still, I think like we're seeing Johnny blaze as a pitch for ghost rider in a way that I really do like, Uh, you know, like, this just kind of beaten down and it's interesting because like a, a lot of this arc is about uh being hollowed out for the demon and i feel like the most you can say about johnny blaze is that he was hollowed out such a long time ago as for... was logan by the weapon x program wow what a great phrase you used there thank you for making this even better uh and so if we're going to because ultimately i think up until this came out i kind of was just always saying like johnny blaze will of course always be the first ghost rider but i think we're probably done with johnny blaze i was really surprised when this book was announced and it wound up being not just johnny blaze but like basically exclusively johnny blaze true um and it hasn't been a bad thing but i think uh 
Percy is really bringing us some 2.0 shit when it comes to the Ghost Rider concept and the Johnny Blaze concept. And I think he's also achieving this thing that <laughs> hasn't been achieved yet, which is like a really good horror comic that is a Ghost Rider comic. Some of the stuff that you see in this run defines, I've been saying this from the beginning, I feel so bad because I just feel like I'm constantly repeating myself, but like you obviously can't do jump scares in a comic and there's a lot of stuff that you can't do because this is a Disney owned property. They're not going to do human centipede begotten uh tension uh levels of horror it's going to be safe to print and get screen capped and get republished knowing that percy has really figured out how to write the definitive horror character in a way that is true to the genre and what the genre needs to be in comics and in a lot of ways that mission sort of supersedes doing good character work for Johnny because if you lay this really fertile groundwork and soil hopefully other great writers come around and do that or they bring a character that's already got phenomenal character work like Kushala into the mix and she gets to play in this really newly defined fertile soil that Percy pulled together all of that said yeah I think I'm at about an A minus uh, I, I really am so curious to know if this is like a three-year-old pitch that they were like, I think we're ready for it. By the way, you just need to mention in the second issue that they are riding like in spite of Orcus existing and, uh, you know, cause it doesn't, this isn't really a fall. This is happening during fall of X. It's not really a fall of X book. That's okay. Doesn't need to be. Writers are forced to work within editorials confines and do publication around promotion. That's all fine. Uh, that is just the one thing where I was like, it really would have been possible to make uh, project hellfire and uh, the weapon plus hell program. Uh, an, a wing of Orcus rather than, because I actually think that it being an Orcus project makes a lot more sense than uh, Mephisto having had a hand in Weapon Plus the whole time. That actually doesn't make as much sense. Uh, so all that said, it's fine that it doesn't 100% work. Everybody's doing their best. And outside of the Fall of X stuff, it really does work seeing Talia Warroad interact with uh, Jeff Bannister. Can you even imagine the sex there? <laughs> I do not want to imagine that. Uh, Jeff Bannister. Jeff Bannister's hot. Give me a haircut and a outfit change and we can discuss. Hey, um, the outfit's cute. The bone structure's there. The hair is greasy. Yeah. Uh, I, I was telling Nico, like, this is... Uh, the it's setting up a pitch for me for like uh, a pulse meets the Illuminati of the government, which is like the Illuminati is a government, but uh, you know, all these characters that we've seen who work in the government dealing with superheroes. So we've got Talia, we've got Jeff Bannister, we've got Dolores uh, who has appeared in X books. Um, there's a bunch of characters. Van Cartier. That that's her. Uh, with the wheelchair. <laughs> um, she just comes out singing all sorts of Motown numbers. I'm sold. Um, 
but we we see these characters like you even throw somebody like peter corbeau in the mix uh we see these characters who work with the government and also interact with the superheroes and the first thing i saw thought seeing talia and jeff bannister interact was like i can't wait for two years from now when some other writer remembers that they know each other and it's like uh you know somebody in the government is really suspicious about strange academy they're both on a shield book or something yeah exactly so a lot of of cool stuff like that that was a long monologue for saying this is absolutely a minus uh in in the best possible way and um i just i can't believe next month issue 18 of this ghost rider book comes out and i just want to say for me the book i want more than anything out of this is yeah. helverines yes where any wolverine Dokken, akihiro even look anybody that fell under the we'll call it all-encompassing branching of the wolverines maverick Sabretooth, mystique lady deathstrike any of them you know who i'd give it to who uh and i would make this uh connected to undrawn thing i'd give it to jimmy hudson you know jimmy hudson is one of those characters that number one obviously when you look at him you just think yeah he was drawn for nico number two james hudson as vindicator as guardian i feel like Alpha Flight gets a really bad rap because it's not even that they're old, they're the Canadian branch, but very few countries do a really good job loving another country through their secondary media. It's not that Alpha Flight wasn't ever a best-selling book under John Byrne, but Alpha Flight was a best-selling book in spite of being an X-Men spinoff in so many ways. Even if it was the book everyone wanted, I'm certainly not coming from out Al- for Alpha Flight. I'm a humongous fan from way back, right? But we have a hard time treating anyone else as Captain America in America oh, yeah. With a whole lot of respect, which is why as soon as they were like, oh, Teguji is the first S-class hero at Marvel, I was like, yeah, that's about as believable as Swordmaster is the most powerful swordsman at Marvel. I mean, look at the way we treat Red Guardian, uh, you know. Even Black Widow. Yeah. Um, But I think... There's all these little uh, ties left off from uh, the Ultimate Universe that I don't think Invasion is going to 100% take care of. Uh, And I think... What? You mean Ultimate Invasion? The book that is selling barely more? (laughs) Sorry. Barely more than God's. These tweets are coming out of every corner of the internet. Marvel did not treat Ultimate Invasion the way it deserved. So we have to cover it on this show now. We will definitely be covering it. Uh, It honestly, like, there was a moment in which I was like, Nico, I think maybe we shelve the Ghost Rider thing for one more week because we have to talk about the discourse around gods and Hickman and pre-sales. And uh, it is something that we will talk about on the show. But... uh, yeah, I, Helverines. Remember when we had Hot Claws? Uh... I don't want to talk about this. I was so excited when Wolverine came back from the dead. No. There is very little I love more than the idea of the hero coming back. I don't know. No. For me, if you, like you ask me what's the best moment of 
Jason Aaron's Thor. And at this point, the book is six years old. I don't feel bad about saying this on air if that's okay with everybody here. When Thor realizes that he's the god of the unworthy and that he'll Mm -hmm. always be there for people who want to be better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's like the moment of the book. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the things that we get further and further away from with these runs, with the evolution of these characters, is we miss these major milestones that represent who they are. The Ultimate Universe was meant to be an easy way to ease into the Marvel Universe. But now it has as many issues as the MC2, the New Universe, and 2099 combined. So that's 2,000-something issues. That's hard to jump in on. And at the same time, when you're talking about these attempts to shape a universe... You need to think about the long-term proposition and prospect, and I don't know that having an entire era defined by Bendis and Millar, two guys who are so known for their shakeups, shaking up the universe from the beginning, left a lot of room to develop a responsorial universe. It was all, how quickly can we make it different, keeping it looking the same? That's a very tricky proposition, but I think it's also the proposition on all ghostwriters. Mm-hmm. All ghostwriters look essentially the same flaming skull cool guy big muscles sometimes it's a lady but that doesn't change much about the visage shouldn't have used that word well then i think it's time to go to mcp um and take a look at our next slide i have our, our next slash first crossover I have nothing to say about this one, really. I feel bad. Marvel Comics Presents is like the... It's like the Jost Man of my comic childhood. It is that thing that I was, like, obsessed with that shaped my understanding of this thing that defines me. But now I understand that this is a very bad, very small view into a very big room. I don't want to judge the whole White House by one window... But I feel like that is what MCP sought to do. It's either extreme or very funny for like 189 issues across seven years. And this Ghost Rider Wolverine story is the Drex of it. My thing is like, if if this was your thing, if this got you into Marvel Comics and you are a huge fan now because of this, it did the job that I root for. Uh... I did not get into Marvel Comics through Marvel Comics Presents. Uh, And in fact, I think I have a couple, I had a couple issues that like I got into Marvel in spite of it because I was about to say you got into Marvel Comics despite what they presented. Right. Um, But these supposedly easy way in anthology, you know, uh, there is incentive to pick up each one. The short stories are shorter. There's all these little uh, elements that I can see making this important for someone conceptually. Just the idea of Marvel Comics Presents. Wait, so hold if, on. There's wow. only 768 issues of the Ultimate Universe. You want to do it? Uh, I'm not saying yes to that because you and I have such an important catalog of stuff to get through. There's how many issues of the entire Ultimate? 768. That's not bad at all. Of the whole Ultimate? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I can eat can that, that in a week. Are you yes. kidding? Uh, yes, you I can. Mean, you're you're a faster reader. But I'm you actually not. Do that. 
I'm not wrong that it's more than twenty ninety nine, yeah. two and yes. new combined. But yeah. at seven sixty eight, damn, daddy could eat that. We will discuss when we have. We have so many wonderful times ahead. So maybe yeah. that's a someday project. Maybe exactly. it'll be in 10 years. Who knows? Exactly. Or like if Marvel is like, you will never believe what we're doing with the Ultimate Universe post-Ultimate Invasion, then we can discuss. Setting that aside, um, yeah, this is this is a, a nothing story, uh, except for the fact that they're at NYU Medical Center. Uh, it's very important. Um, gives us a couple neat things. <laughs> oh, is it is it somewhere you've been? Maybe once or twice. Uh, gives us Sean Watanabe, the hottest uh, mutant I've seen in a hot minute. Who inexplicably gorgeous? Yeah. Um, who absolutely could have a have a renaissance? Um, but don't take that idea. That's mine and Nico's idea. You can't have it. Uh, and then it gave us Death Watch, who is nothing. But it doesn't give us Death Watch. Death Watch is from Ghost Rider Volume Three, One through Ten. Oh, okay. I I misunderstood. Um, He's the bad guy of Ghost Rider right. at this point, and also ran afoul of Wolverine with some hand stuff. Um, he is a demon. Uh, from a race of demons that are called the trans lords. And if you don't think the queer community can't rework that concept in a way that would galvanize every single person with a uh, letter in the alphabet mafia, you will just be so shocked. Give I've it to us. I've invented it. It's Competrus, and um, her goal is feed the beast. Ex and uh, she is here to destroy God, Kim Petrus destroy me fuck you are the hottest girl in the world god damn <laughs> she's real gorgeous i and think she would love to be a trans lord uh yeah she's, she's she a is dazzler writer. oh my god kim petrus for dazzler yeah she'd right be a fantastic now. dazzler yeah um especially for those people who think dazzler is such a queer icon but is terminally heterosexual that's like that is kim petrus um first of all number one Longshot should just be genderqueer right now. Longshot should feel really good, looking sexy in a dress. He is literally Lady Luck. Why yep. are we not leaning into that sort of, I don't know, that gorgeousness of character dichotomy? I mean, Longshot hasn't had a an interesting story in a galvanized queer writer's era. Hi, Charlie Jane Anders. You should write this. Thank you. I, I completely agree. That would be phenomenal. Um, but yeah, uh, we get Sean Watanabe. We get, uh, well, we don't, didn't start, uh, with Death Watch here, but we get Death Watch. Um, yeah, this is nothing. End of story. You know, I'm also really shocked by the spelling of Sean being the particularly Gaelic way. Like, yeah. this is Sean Watanabe, like his sister's name is Sinead. Obviously, and... it's either a family friend or, uh, their mother is... Uh, descended from the Irish folk. Well, and the thing that I really love about the effort to kind of create a character in this is he did go on to appear a few more times, mm -hmm. and then is referenced in the one ninety eight as having mm -hmm. been dis uh, being dis. Uh, I'm like I don't want to call it depowered anymore because it's not depowered. It's sort of like displaced power. 
like they get their powers back they just have to be willing to die in combat but like no one's really depowered anymore so we sort of need a new term for it because number one i think you can still say depowered because they were depowered at that time yeah, it's I, it's really like displaced power for me, yeah. but I hear you. They were, yeah, I would say displaced by uh, the decimation. Excellent. Um, which I, is funny. Like, you know, my next question is like, well, hold did on. he get, go, sorry, go. Keva, would you please put up the incredible image of Sean Wantanabe that I just sent you? Uh, look at that stud. The headband. He's so thick. God, yeah, um, there's like ten feet of him going all the way back. I don't. It really looks like his calves are so fat that they he had to squeeze them into those boots, and they're just the muscle is spilling out over the boots. Um, but he still looks like he would be gentle and yes. know how to play you music on guitar. Yes, I could not agree more. I would love Do to you think he was resurrected? You know what? I think that if the right writer who says, hey, you know what? There aren't enough Asian mutants still for the fact that, you know, China is like a billion people out of seven. They're all just the collective man. That's their one mutant. And that is such a problem for (laughs) me, because one of the things is that when we talked last week on our comic broadcast about the fact that anime anime and manga represent a far larger portion of cartoons and comics then do the American generated counterparts. One of the things that we need to talk about then is the fact that American audiences love manga and love anime, but they don't necessarily as American producers design their product for overseas markets. And so I do wonder sometimes about the nature of when somebody like the incredible Alyssa Wong comes along and they say, Hey, listen, I'm going to create Asian and non-binary characters in everything I do, not because I have an agenda, but because we exist and you have to stop saying we don't exist. If white straight guys create white straight guys, this is what I'm doing. And I think that is what a Sean Watanabe is waiting for. Sean Watanabe is waiting for a guy who grew up thinking, man, it's so cool that there's an Asian character. He looks like somebody I want to look like, or maybe he just looks like something I identify with and that there is a you know, a percent 1.00, whatever it is that gave Lourdes Chantal page space. Yep. And bitch died so beautiful. Like yeah. that was the number one thing I, you know, no, sobbing on the floor, crying, Rogue always loved Charles. Was the, I can't even talk about that scene still. That is my number one, like last five years moment yep. in comics. But, uh, you know, Emma saying that Lord has meant everything to her yep. really close and all in the strength of Jerry Duggan generating that story. And I think it would be really plausible for Wolverine to say like he'd had a relationship with not a like sexual relationship, but he'd had a f- close friendship with Sean Watanabe this whole time they met here. Sean Watanabe was still active until yes. the decimation. Yeah. So like it really would just take, him coming up and that's what i'm talking about like with this with percy's ghost rider it's another avenue in which we see wolverine having relationships with people and like showing an affection for people that is not just like oh i'm gruff and you know even when you're my friend i'm i'm always mad like 
it is becoming increasingly believable that Wolverine would be like, no, I actually just really liked this person. I really respected this person. I enjoyed this person's company. And I think a character like that, having him be like, I, I solved a mystery to get Sean Watanabe to the top of the resurrection queue because that was my friend. Uh, I can see it. You know, and the, I think, complicated thing about it is what you're pointing out is I'm more interested in who Lug, uh, Logan, who Logan would invite to a dinner party than I think yes. I am in necessarily who he would bring into battle. Yeah. If Logan could bring anybody to battle, he would bring Scott Summers. Cyclops right. would be at his side. But Logan knows if he's having a dinner party that somebody's going to try to kill everybody there. So he's not going to invite Scott Summers. He's going to invite the most random secret members of the Marvel Universe. And that's guys like this incredible character in Sean Watanabe. And that's even characters like the incredible Kushala, who mm -hmm. just doesn't get enough page space. That said, I give this crossover like a C minus. It is boring. It's forgettable. Yeah. Dan Catch has less personality here than he has almost anywhere. And it's not a result of Howard Mackey not trying. It's a result of the eight-page format and yeah. the requirement of fitting it across eight issues that people might read. This is yeah. also the point that Marvel Comics Presents lost its weekly status and went to monthly. Yeah. Uh, and I think... This is one of the this follows the logic of every every issue might be somebody's first. So if we were to do character development issue to issue in an eight page segment across uh, eight issues, that might get really complicated. So rather yep. than doing that at all, we're going to like pick five ideas and just kind of repeat them over and over again as we incrementally move the story forward it's not a great format we don't really do it anymore uh that's fine this is a a wonderful little memory and we move on so what's your grade oh my grade yeah it's probably about a c minus and it's not that the creators didn't try. This is sort of the nature of when you're talking about classic comics, you're talking about an entire industry beholden to the idea that it could die any day. Yeah. Even if X-Force number one sold a million copies, that doesn't matter. Pearl yeah. Harbor made $100 million, the first movie to make $100 million in a single weekend, and is considered a failure, a flop, and a critical disaster. So don't necessarily always look at your history books and assume that that means quality. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. To take a look at our next slide, we have what I might call an ugly triptych. <laughs> Ghost Rider Wolverine Punisher Hearts of Darkness is one of the most beautiful things I've ever laid my eyes on as long as you don't need to know what you're looking at. If what you're looking at is maybe like, does everybody remember sand art? Where they would sell you what looked like a skinny fish tank and they'd be like, fill this shit with sand, poke it with yeah. a chopstick. You, yeah. my friend, are Picasso. That's kind of what this looks like. I cannot imagine the burnout JRJR was experiencing, having finished his Daredevil run, working on Daredevil Man Without Fear, uh, getting ready to do things across the Marvel Universe. But by golly. There are places in which I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not Mephisto. That is the building behind him. Uh, 
Mephisto, that's the one thing I was going to talk about is I love that depiction of Mephisto. And I actually think it's a huge loss that we don't do it more. Um, the Hearts of Darkness actually, to me, is not bad at all. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, I give it a B plus. The only real problem I have with it is sometimes I can't tell what's happening between the writing and the art. Yeah, and I don't really think it almost doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's a really like everything is uh, the first thing that is said, and none of the details matter. Blackheart is here. Blackheart hates his dad. Blackheart's gonna do a thing to f up his dad. That like he might add in little details about what he's doing, but it doesn't matter. It's just that Blackheart is here. Blackheart is constantly trying to kill Mephisto. Um, our, you know, our three protagonists, this is such a weird time because Punisher is post Miller in the zone of, this is not a man that you want to emulate, but is still tangentially related to something having to do with superheroes and vigilantism. And it is pre uh, the constant refrain of, I will do whatever it takes to stop criminals. It's and also before that, like, Garth Ennis re-envisioning of the character as somebody who maybe has a soul as right. long as you're not a crime lord. Right. Uh, and, it, you know, it's before so many of those horrible Christmas issues that we... Uh, but, you know, it is this... Um, you can see Punisher showing up at a superhero function because he does what they do, regardless of whether or not he has any moral high ground or he's somebody who uh, you want to in any way emulate. I don't know. There's something about it at this time that I'm still like, okay, I'm still okay with this Frank Castle. It's very soon after this that he becomes the person that cops are like, that's the guy. I want to be like that guy. Uh, I have a mandate to be like that guy. Um, and I think here especially, it's three people that like nobody has a mandate to want to be like. But they have shown up in this situation in which they are the only people that can write what Blackheart, who is... The son of Satan, who is a and very evil dude. Is a regular daredevil villain at this point. Yeah. Inexplicably, Anne Nascenti was like, hey, how come daredevils never met the devil? Yeah. And it I was think it's great. very explicable. <laughs> um, it's, it's only unfortunate maybe that it wasn't Matt Murdock instead of Frank Castle that was there. But I think Matt Murdock is of a different ilk than uh, Ghost Rider and Wolverine. Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and Punisher really do make sense as like people who flirt with the very evil things that have to occur when you engage in vigilantism and when you engage in violent superheroics. Um, well, well, I just want to say that like when you read this, you can yeah. really understand the interview from Marvel Age in the back of the trade that says, oh no, this was a ghostwriter story and we were going to yeah. have Wolverine and Punisher guest star for a minute and then decided if we just added a couple of scenes in the bedroom that right. they feel like regulars. No, they don't feel like regulars. They feel mm. very shoehorned in. And it's a fucking riot that they all meet at a bed and breakfast in Christ's Crown, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Missouri. It's one of those no, it really feels like they're all about to like go in the back and like enjoy some secret man time. This is well, also good lord. And if, hey, 
Have you never wanted to see Punisher more go in the back and enjoy secret man time than in the... Oh my god, he is drawn to look like your every 90s burly buff daddy fantasy. Yeah. Um, But the only thing is no one has a personality in the entire no, no, book. Not at all. The person who comes closest is Danny. And Ish. it's not great. But like literally Danny's trying to figure some stuff up out about himself and figure out where he ends and the Ghost Rider begins, how he accesses the Ghost Rider power, all that. Literally, he's doing Ghost Rider shit, having traveled to Christ's Crown, where Wolverine and the Punisher just happen to be. Uh, and then, well, the part that throws me off is, yeah, like, Frank is like, you could tell who I am through all of this. And Wolverine is basically like, I'm a dog person dumbass punisher's like oh true, fair true, point true, true. fair point i could tell you were you because of the claws coming out of your hand and, and you're the only person that shape. has that hair <laughs> god like it is this like unique thing that like there are things in comic books and cartoons that then you see them in real life and you're like oh that guy's a dragon ball z fan but I've never in my whole life, outside of somebody cosplaying Wolverine at a Comic-Con, yeah. seen anybody ever been like, do you like my split cowlick? Yeah, nobody has ever managed to pull off what our world's version of the Wolverine hair is. You are either doing Wolverine hair with a ton of work, i.e. cosplay or the first uh, X-Men movie, because after that, it's just whatever. Um but there's no, like, it's the other thing. Nobody can explain to me what is going on with the Osborns' hair. Um, they are not half black. I've asked everywhere. No, uh, what throws me off more than anything is they really do look like, we got the white guy cornrows. Yes. Uh, it's very confusing. So those are the two that I'm like, there is no our world equivalent of that. Betsy Braddock is just a girl who dyes her hair purple. I, you can't convince me otherwise. No, she literally does. It's like, uh, it's canon. She's a blonde. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fine. That's great. You know, with that, that is a thing. That's a girl can dye her hair purple. There's just no version of the Wolverine hair. Anyway, these guys all show up at a bed and breakfast in Texas where Blackheart also happens to be. And he holds the town hostage, uh, in order to recruit them to kill Mephisto. Uh, they do not end of book. That's it. Yeah. End of book. They don't. And, a book. Um, and you get a really, really cool version of Mephisto that's oh. like a, a fat pot belly pig. Um, uh, oh, God, I forget the aliens, but they, they've got like the mouth. Oh, he kind of looks like he's got a demigorgon face. But like a um, lizard muppet. Too? Yeah, lizard muppet, fat pot belly. Yes, that's all of that. That's his arm on the cover. Yeah, that's, that's his, his arm. Big that's claw. Yep. Uh, and it's just out of nowhere, like they don't explain why he looks like this and he doesn't that's what look he like, like in Daredevil. Dan Oh, really? Yeah, that's what JRJR always draws Mephisto to look like. I frankly love it. I it's had not seen it that much. I really wish that that had been a more clear version in uh, Aaron's run. Because it just feels like a uh, weird dandy. I'm pretending to be Satan. I'm uh, Trinity the Tuck doing uh, Lucy on Snatch Game. It's that basically... No, it's basically Timothy Chalamet playing him from the Powerpuff Girls. And I yes. don't know why that is the go 
I don't like it. I don't it's it's fine in certain contexts, but if you're like this is the guy that could end the multiverse. This is the ruler of hell. Give me a look where I'm like this is at least somewhat like uh eldritch horror-y. Anyway, we get that here. There's my first exposure to it. Uh so that was cool, but it is literally kill my dad. No, the end. I'm going to give it a I said B plus earlier. I'm going to yeah. downgrade slightly to a it's B. B. It's a B. B. Um but you know what's a C minus? <laughs> uh, brood trouble in the Big Easy. That yeah. just sucks. And I yeah. see how it's at like the pinnacle point of Jim yeah. Lee's. Like, oh no, it's that same one, Cabo. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's in there. Oh no, yeah, it's these four in the I middle. So crazy. What's funny is this is the introduction of Belladonna. This and is the conclusion. Yeah, it's true. Uh, conclusion one. Don't worry, she'll be back. Um, this is for friends of the animated series half of this the half that doesn't include the brood and ghost rider is the introduction of belladonna in x-men the animated series uh and i remember the first time i read this i was so wildly confused because i'm like yep that syncs up and you know that's where she shows up and then all of a sudden it's just this totally different story where they go to fight the brood and there are every element here is something that i like and that I want to see, and in practice, should work, uh, or in theory, should work. In practice, none of it works. Well, and part of that is because X Men number eight is a great issue that mm. should be at least seven or eight issues. Yeah, not because none of which should have anything to do with the brood, right? Mm -hmm. Not because it's not a good issue, but because it sets a standard for every issue moving too fast mm -hmm. to be. Like, likable. That's one of the things that I talk about a lot. When a show ends, you know they can do anything they want for their final season because they don't have to outdo that next month. Right. X-Men 9 is a damn shit show compared to X-Men 8. Ghost Rider, uh, these two issues offer nothing to the story. It is just sort of a waste of my time. And I think that one of the things that's so surprising about that then is that this is one of the most well-remembered issues of X-Men. This arc is something that people point to, and not because it's memorable, but because it got a trade early on, because it had an omnibus uh, inclusion. But when you ask me what I think about this arc, it's a D. X-Men number eight is an A, but not as number eight as like the Marvel, you know, the Marvel special issue of the year. Like, this is the only issue of X-Men that should matter because the amount it upheaves is so significant. I wouldn't want to write number nine. And in fact, number nine blows chunks. It's uh, this starts some plot lines that are going to be important for the next like 30. They're still important. Yeah, they're still literally going on today. Uh, and like, if you were to Marvel fandom these, they would be like in issue eight, where Bishop indicates that he doesn't trust Remy, all this really important stuff. You could see all of those references and never realize that that's actually mostly not what this is about. It's actually about Ghost Rider showing up, the Brood attacking the war. Like the idea that and, these and Ghost Rider Brood. Which to me is such an unfortunate thing because it's again, it's actually really cool. And what the the brood cosmology of hell and the brood as hellish creatures that could interact with hellish creatures. I just 
I could get into that forever. I could see Percy doing that forever. Uh, this is really just like two different types of things with teeth combined to make a teethier thing that has more uh, like ichor and guts and dampness and also fire it just isn't anything uh like do do the brood have hell do the brood have a concept of demons and if they don't because it would be very plausible that they don't what happens when they come across hell how well, does that let me ask you a question yeah. to somebody who is a space traveler who also might have interdimensional travel is hell not just another dimension? Yep. Is that just not another type of alien? Yep. Not to JMS Thor everybody over no. here, but like, I think that the breed would just be like, mm, infect it. And, oh, we can't mm, run from it. And that would be it. I don't know that they would even really waste too much time on theology. I'm not and saying again, they would waste rude. time on theology. I'm saying like, the theology is there for somebody to play with. Uh, and I think it, it's way bigger than just infect Ghost Rider. So we have a flamier demon with more teeth that is elongated. Like it just, the threat here is just like, it's more of everything. That is all the threat is. It's just everything is worse. Uh, it's the scariest brood you've ever seen, but it's also on fire. Like, it just is that level of, like, we one-upped ourselves. Okay, congratulations. I give this a legitimate C-. Yep. I give X-Men 8 an A, but yep. again, as, like, the only X-Book for the year, yep. and then Brood Trouble in the Big Easy, it's a C-. Um, the Dark Design, though, that's going to be a big drop for me. Yeah. So, TK, tell me, Brood Trouble, Big Easy, your score, Big Bro. Yeah, I think it's probably somewhere in the C, C- range. Um, I will say it just it made me think of so much stuff that's happening now that would be really cool. But in and of itself, it's just not, not anything, unfortunately. And speaking of not anything, <laughs> I have a specific thought about dark design, yep. and it's not critical. It's yeah. acknowledging the time. It's a sign of the times. I grew up with a cable box in my bedroom. Yes. And so Kim Dawson was my first real porn star. She was like in all of the Skinamax movies. But if you ask me, does Kim Dawson actually like you know is she a brazzers girl no i understand that there is a huge difference between the things i grew up on that feel familiar in a way that make me go yeah and like quality dark design god fuck from the minute you open it number one ron garney is one of the most spectacularly talented pencilers in the entire comic book industry today Yet here, he's clearly given an editorial edict to draw along the lines of a JRJR so that the book has some consistency from the conceptual uh, precursor of Hearts of Darkness. The only connection really is Lucy and Blackheart, and even then, it's not a strong connection, really, if you're reading them. The Dark Design looks like it came out in 1994 or 1995. It feels like it came out in 1994 or 1995. It offers no real story. In fact, 
This might have been better suited to being called an annual of sorts, but rather they chose to try and capitalize on the success of the previous volume. This to me is every bad sequel Marvel published in the 90s. The unfortunate thing is they barely let the first one live long enough to become a classic before they compounded it with the lackluster sequel. Yeah, uh, I don't know that there's a ton more to say about it. Um, Timing-wise, it doesn't work at all. Lucy is uh, like maybe six, six to eight in, in the first um, one, Hearts of Darkness, which uh, was published three years before this. And we know the Marvel time scale is like one to somewhere between five and ten. And Dan Ketch could not have been Ghost Rider earlier than a certain point. Uh, so that she is like, I want to say 18. Cause then we don't have to even deal with a black heart child bride storyline. And that they clearly gave who was in her previous iteration, a young girl breasts in this is yeah. everything I, about the hypersexualization of the nineties yep. that makes these books feel ooky in addition to preclusive. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, I do think she's like 13, which is still too much time having passed uh, and doesn't work. But and also then like that she is a child bride that is like vaguely sexualized, like you can't blame them. She's so sexy is fucking unhinged. Again, it, it's also horrible because none of this matters because we are still dealing with I want to kill my dad, uh, which I don't get me wrong as somebody who really fucking hates his dad i get where you're coming from blackheart and i think as a character motivation for a villain and a chaos causer i'm mad at my dad is great don't ever change keep it constantly that that is an evergreen villain plot device uh we don't need to get child bride in the mix that wasn't necessary at all what i will say is they also give her powers which means that i am putting this character in my rolodex of characters i will be bringing back later uh to use for cool marvel magic horror stuff because lucy has had some wild adventures these uh, are her only two appearances, so you are I know. officially a Lucy expert. <laughs> um, when she meets her uh, multiversal variant, Lucy LaDuca, I think uh, the, the the portals between worlds shall break down. Let loose, baby, fuck Satan. Uh, I will be introducing this character singing Let Loose at karaoke, and I cannot wait for it. Uh, yeah, this is... Um, I love that they just show back up in Christ Crown. They were like, I, the Wolverine and uh, Ghost Rider, are like Lucy called us psychically. Frank goes, I just thought I had a bad dream, but I came in, <laughs> which is not supposed to be funny. And it is funny. And I think I'm, I'm just going to steal that and use it again because I think it is very funny. Um, I think a character who goes, I actually did not think I was being called astrally but i you know just in case uh, i think that's very very funny um it's funny is i feel like that's ben percy's wolverine sometimes yes 100 percent. that is why he shows up Ooh. hold that thought i will be right back well while you hold that thought i want to say for a moment that the dark design represents for me a d 
not because Howard Mackey lost his ability, and certainly not because of the talented Ron Garney, but one of the things that unnecessary sequels breed is an unfortunate comparison to their predecessor. Now, that can be a great benefit to a work where, like, wow, Adam's Family Values released in 1993, a significant year you might be hearing about on this show in the near future. But Adam's Family Values just chomps Adam's yeah. Family. Very Brady sequel, kicks very Brady movie to the universe, except for the fact that RuPaul is in the original and sadly not a feature in the second. For me, the dark design represents a moment of critical failure on the part of Marvel editorial where you can start to see the wheels come off the machine. Now, I'm not here to say that I think that Spider-Man should be a universe, X-Men should be a universe, etc. But one of the things that winds up happening is you're asking me to make a few too many allowances for the nature of what Satan means to the entire Marvel universe. If you are asking me if it's possible that perhaps Blackheart may have gotten the blood of an innocent child on his knife. Sure. If you're asking me if Blackheart killing his dad in this um, secondary forgettable special. No, no, this is not the book where we're all going to go back and go, oh, God, get that one CGC, bro. That's the book where we're going to be like, oh, they included that in the trade so they could charge 20 bucks for Hearts of Darkness. Or Fuck. whatever omnibus this gets included in. It's a $20 hardcover and softcover of Hearts of Darkness and the Dark Design and also that interview Marvel age and nothing else. No, thank you. No, thank yous. Um, I will say both of these gave me a lot of affection for Blackheart. I I am being funny, but it's one of those things where I no, need I get it. it. Like, I actually think that's enough. That's enough of a motivation for a character. Yes. Um, it's, you know, because he is a demon, there's uh, mythic elements of it where... Hey, bro, bro, why do I love the orb? He's a giant eyeball, and he wears a red bicycle. He wears like a red motorcycle stuntman suit. That's it. Yep. It's fine. Yep. Um, and so these two for me really illustrate like a lot of other things Blackheart appears in, with the exception of uh, Nascenti's Daredevil. Um, a lot of stuff he appears in tries to do too much or does too little. Uh, really? You know, like he's... It's not even I hate my dad. It's just I'm from hell. Uh, yeah, that's he's just a demon. He it's lacks even a that's demon even kind of that's even kind of the five and six from Percy's run. Like he's not doing anything, um, which is funny because he really could be doing I hate Mephisto stuff there. Anyway, I I think these two just really illustrate how that's enough to get you five-sixths of the way there. The problem in Hearts of Darkness is not that it's too thin a concept or a conflict. It's that he goes, I want to kill my dad, and they just go, no. And then the book ends. The problem with Hearts of Darkness is it's sexy for all the wrong reasons, like white men can't jump. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that aspect, too. I just mean from a plot perspective, like there's just no... Um, 
it does the resolution is not it just doesn't do anything second finest woody harrelson has ever looked i think i agree with that season four of will and grace is the sexiest no no god god implausibly beautiful um dark design same thing like you get a lot of the way there just having him hate his dad and that even like jumps you to the end in the middle with the child bride is the real problem and then again that there's not a lot of great resolution with the heroes like why are the heroes there um yeah there's a certain sense of did you even read hearts of darkness when you wrote like did you reread hearts of right. darkness when you wrote the dark uh the dark design right because i know that these were both written by howard mackey yeah but there's a certain sense of like he uh, completely forgot one yeah before dark, going in to write the other dark design involves an extended psychological like illusion sequence whereas hearts of darkness is all very physical all very yeah. real so the stakes of dark design feel imaginary maybe that's even the question of why x-force number one sold a million copies and x-force 34 sold like seven uh, I also always think it's weird to bring Punisher into uh, mystic stuff and not give him a magic gun or magic bullets. Um, you like Angel Punisher. I hear that because there's no other version of Magical Punisher that's ever existed for us to reference or anything. So it's not like you've ever said to me that you like, I'm just joking. Uh, you know, it's so fun to think about who Punisher is now compared yeah. to who he was then. We're getting a new Punisher who's basically like, white chad who takes out his impotence on everybody else um and now we have frank in this weird weird world position i don't know when i think about classic frank and i see his keba would you mind zooming in on the dark design cover for me for a moment why is frank castle given the same inhuman element as wolverine at this point in canon frank castle is a man he's a human being this glowing red eye puts him visually on par with Cable, visually on par, at least in this image, with Wolverine. And I'm left to ask myself, what was the design for Frank Castle? I mean, unfortunate term to use, but what was the, you know, what was the conceptual inclusion of Frank Castle here? No. For all it's worth, Ghost Rider could have been the only one in either one of these, and it maybe would have enhanced the story but specifically dark design gets like a D from me. Mm -hmm. This is not Ron Garney. This is not Howard Mackey. This is an editorially mandated sequel to a successful book that has seen over a dozen reprintings in the last five years alone. Yep. Um, I think, I think about a D I think uh, the big things I take, yeah, I take you? nothing. I take nothing from our three main characters. I take some more great angry Blackheart, which just, you know, now we are I... always hearing about the angry Blackheart back in 1994. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hate you. And um, I, you know, I think Lucy's cool. I'm I she's in my back pocket now. Um, so th that's she should it. just be a fucking ghostwriter, man. She should yeah. just have like. The spirit of remembrance. Jesus. I have other ideas for her having to do with other things that we have covered involving magic that we'll discuss off the air. Oh, man. When you like talk dirty to me like that on the air. Mm. So I want to move to our next major work. Now, what's yeah. crazy is we go from the dark design in 1994, kind of putting a mar 
on the concept of Wolverine and the Ghost Rider coexisting in a single title. But then when we get to Venom, the circle of four, listen, I detest very few. I don't even care. I detest very few writers that have ever been the chief architect of Marvel the way I detest Rick Remender for the things he loves. Dude writes such a good story. God, the guy understands pacing. He knows what a character is. I just think he makes all the wrong decisions with that intelligence. But damn, is The Circle of Four a great book? No. But could these six issues come out today and be a bestseller? Yes. Yeah, uh, concepts are phenomenal here. Um, This is also just like a great version. This is a great time to bring these versions of the characters around. I don't know. I don't know that I care about uh, Eddie Brock, Bruce Banner, Logan, and Johnny or Danny. Uh, but I think that these, I don't even want to say also rans, but like these, it's not knockoffs. I'm not using the right word, but like legacy iterations. Yeah. Like who you would not typically pick for all of them to, I think the only thing that's really unfortunate is that like they come out of it a little bit like, Oh, I can't believe we barely survived that. And I would have loved to have seen them come out of it. Like kind of like Johnny and Wolverine do at the end of weapons of vengeance where they're like, you know, we're, we're the same type of person. Uh, I would have liked for, you know, I, I would like for us to be friends. Um, so I love that we see them coming together, working together, not like being a cohesive unit, but getting it done. I think what I would have appreciated was kind of figuring out a way to make them a cohesive unit by the end of it. And really by the end of it, it's just much more like, uh, glad we survived the experience. And I can see where that wouldn't be satisfying. Yeah. Uh, this is so pre Laura slash X 23 really being the icon that she is today. I think we never quite got where we wanted to with flash Thompson, venom, uh, red Hulk, Red Hulk never did it for me. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. And then Alejandra, I just, like I said, I don't think anybody ever really wrote her well. She just comes off as so angry and unlikable. Uh, also, I can't believe I'm just now realizing that these covers all, uh, or they yeah. three, three fused together. I don't know how I didn't notice that before. Um, but yeah, I also love this greasy uh, MySpace goth version of Blackheart that has to transform into uh the Blackheart that we see in his demon form i think that's really a riot that's this yeah that's so that's uh that's Blackheart who has been the villain in the other in uh hearts of darkness and dark design he is this is his human form that he has to like actively do a ritual to get out of uh, with his girlfriend to come back as Blackheart. Um, and I, I really like that. The thing I find so amusing that I noticed immediately is it speaks to 
this problem that Marvel has had up until very recently and still kind of has where their aesthetics are always minimum two years, more like five, sometimes as much as 10 years off. So like Blackheart, you are on mute, Mo. Thank you for seeing me get real emotional. You mean like this being 2012 and one of the members of the cover gallery here looking like he's excited to join the Black Parade? That is literally exactly it. Like he is an MCR emo. uh, And then the girlfriend is like a rockabilly chick who would have like, that's not even 2005. That's like 2000. That's like, yeah, 1998 Uh, and the Brian Seltzer Orchestra. Yeah, like she's not even like... Even if you wanted to be like, she's a Dita Von Teese type. We're past that too at this point. And it's the same way, you know, the the example that I was always like, if you're going to keep analyzing comics, you need to come to terms with this, was May Day. It's 1998 and she looks like, you know, a 92 TLC era. Ain't too proud to beg. Yeah, like, uh, she looks like she's about to turn to the camera and say, that's what makes it hip-hop. And I was just like, yeah, Marvel, you know, these guys are always going to be aesthetically off. And it really is these recent, like, the Stormbreakers artists, like the Lucas Vernex, who, and, you know, a little bit before, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on everybody, but it has taken Marvel a very long time to be able to be in the same ballpark of trend when they do a character that is like looking like a person from an era. It's like every time McDonald's is like, we heard what you guys are into. We just found out about burritos. We're going <laughs> to offer the Mick burrito starting today. Yep. Today, uh, September 7th, 2023, we just discovered burritos, right? Or you're That's like on two. your third generation of iPod and they're like, we got hit clips. Oh my God. Every now and then I just think to myself, this all started with Winamp. Yeah. Really whips the llama's ass. Right. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Um, I want to say that one of the things that Venom Circle of Four gave me Venom, was Venom. I, Venom. That's all I ever do. Um, you know, yeah, you know. I guess we do kind of say, but he's so cute, though. I guess, uh-uh. don't we? Um, this Venom arc reminded me that four people could be involved in the same crossover event and have nothing going on together. These four people are just in the same fucking place. They all woke up today. That's what makes it a crossover. That's it. It's exquisite in that regard, though, because Jeff Parker came to the table and said, no, I'm just tall. And uh, that's all he had to offer. Rick Remender said, I know what I want to say. And he made this a Rick Remender book. And then Rob Thomas, not the Veronica Mars one. Did anybody else ever say, why is Veronica Mars from Neptune? God, does she also live in the Mercury? Um, They make that joke on the show. She buys a Saturn, so they make the joke. uh, Man, Orbit. So I ultimately think Venom Circle of Four running six issues is irritating. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I hate how it came out 
Marvel said, listen, it's really hard to figure out how to read Marvel comics. So we're going to design a method that makes it really easy to read Marvel comics. We're going to call it point one. And if you want to know what's going on in a book, just pick up a point one. And then they kind of got to a point where point one were just sort of like cool prestige issues. And then this happened. This and Daredevil Punisher Seventh Circle, uh, a multi-part arc. This starts in Venom 13 and then goes to Venom 13.1. Guys, I don't even want to finish this sentence. I just want to see if I can it's rush It's 13.1 through 13.4 and then 14 rather than being 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Why? Did yeah. this make you feel like you were part of something for buying things that seemed like they didn't know how to count? Were you somehow more symbiotic, more venominous? Were you more likely to Hulk, Vereen, or perhaps even Ryder yourself over the fact that you bought books with decimal points? Fuck, I was a math teacher for a decade. When you mention decimal points, kids just shit their pants. They don't go, let me spend $4.99 a week. It what feels like point? somebody, a lawyer, found a loophole in a contract where writers were required to write any issues that had numbering, but they don't have to pay them if it's a decimal. So I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying like, it's so nonsensical that it just feels like somebody was like, you're going to write 13.1 through 13.4. You're required to, but we don't have to pay you. Like, cause why else would you be doing this? What does Kelly anybody Clarkson gain from this? $13 or whatever. Like seriously, Kelly Clarkson was played. Kelly Clarkson was paid two digits. Right. To appear on world idol. Right. Um, it makes no sense. There's no feature to it because it's not, you know, if it were 13.1 through 13.5 and you could say like, uh, whatever. It's the arc. Well, I wasn't even going to say that. I was going to say 13 ends and then 14 uh, begins a new story and you can just Excellent. jump to 14 and never have read these other five issues and you'll be fine. But if you want to see what happened after that branching point, you would read these five, which are 13.1 through 13.5. And that would be a way to be like, we're telling these offshoot stories that if you choose to read, this is how you'll do it. And they might give you some more information about a character. But if you choose not to read them you will not be any worse off for understanding the main numbered story there just is no logic to this whatsoever no. uh and it is it is hugely annoying yeah though i think the thing that bothers me the most is not just that like you know what it's tough because if you ask me do i think harry styles is talented Ugh, yeah harry's house is not a bad record it's a B plus. It's not album of the year, but it's a decent record. Is Rick Remender a good writer? Yeah, he's a Venom Circle of Four writer. He's not an Axis writer. He's not an Uncanny X-Force writer. He's not the guy that represents everything going on in the Marvel Universe. Just like, you know, saying Harry Styles is talented, but he doesn't represent the best album of the year. Venom Circle of Four is perhaps the best piece of Rick Remender that exists at the Marvel Universe. TBH, if you want to read Rick Remender and know why Marvel gave him all the money in the world, just go out and buy Fear Agent and stop buying his Marvel books, which are kind of trash. Um, 
I have to give this an A. This is my best reviewed piece of the episode. The clunks are D's. But the idea that these four people would get tricked into having to make a deal with Mephisto? Yeah, that's the Marvel Universe, bro. That's responsibility. You don't play with gods, devils, angels, life, and death without this sort of cost. Do I wish I'd had the opportunity to write this better? No. I'm really eager to be the person to write all four of these characters having to come do on that Mephisto deal. But this is an A for me, and I resent it. I don't think it's an A for me. Um, well, then you're fired. I'm kidding. I think I still think Weapons of Vengeance is better. Um, this okay. is uh, not significantly worse. Uh, and this is definitely better than uh, the other pre-Weapons of Vengeance things. It just... Um, that dated look to Blackheart and his girlfriend uh, right off the bat says something to me where it's like, we are still just a few years away from Marvel not being so eye-rollingly let's employ a 55-year-old white man to tell us what teens sound like. Well, you um, know, and I just... I. To compare it to something that if you're enjoying our comic book coverage, you should definitely check out all of our awesome TV coverage, including TV's Drag Race. Because if you want to know who I think that kind of is a really great echo of, Aquaria, you find me one winner who regularly did boy drag before Aquaria. You find me one set of creators who said, shut the fuck up, look at TikTok, stop looking at Facebook. Before, you know, the RB Silvas, the Marta Gracias, like, find me those creators before that change point, before that change point of Aquarius saying, look, it's okay to be a boy and then, you know, play you like a sad song. Um, so, sorry. I also, I think Alejandra is just unfortunately so unlikable uh, to the point of, like, like, they had to know she was canceled by this point. Yeah, and it just feels like, uh, you know, Reminder maybe was like, okay, uh, so I'm going to use Johnny Blaze, and they said no. So he said, okay, well, then I'll use Danny Ketch, and they said no. So he said, okay, well, then I'll use Kushala, and they said no. And he was like, fine, I guess I have to use this one. And then he just wrote her like a petulant child. He was the was... writer on her book at the time. Yeah, which is how I know it's not that. It is just that... It's again, this is like the the aesthetic equivalent of thinking edgy means somebody is just mean. Thinking uh, and that buff means like capable of showing dominance, showing fear. Big doesn't mean anything. Flaming yeah. head doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, so th these were some of the things that made it a little tough to get involved with the what's going on with flash and the venom symbiote i think also if you don't know what a waste the lore at this time it is just being like that's right we're referencing the lore don't care if you don't know it um the only one who kind of acquits himself well in that line of thinking is red hulk where you know that there's something going on uh, but they're really quickly just like, this is Red Hulk. It's Thunderbolt Ross. 
Um, for me, Red Hulk sort of read like the guy who says, "Oh no, uh, I'm totally good to bench 400." Oh, but uh, today, I mean, like Red Hulk reads like a Hulk, but then the minute they're like Hulk stuff, he's sort of like, "Oh, I'm I'm the wrong color. I can't do that. It's not in my contract to do that action scene. I'm sorry." It's unfortunate I, because they actually, I think they do have something where he's like, I'm a Hulk and this woman just brought me to tears by mentioning yeah. my mother. It's actually really smart. It just doesn't play out. It doesn't have the page space. That's yeah. This needed more time. Yeah. This um, could have been that 12 issue. Series. I was going to say this maybe this could have been a 12 issue circle of four rather than a six issue point one venom. What about um, like calling it like the fearful four? What if this was treated yeah. like a fantastic four 12 issue maxi? You know, the idea of the maxi is just so lost in an era that said get beyond goings five. Mm-hmm. What is that? Anyway, um, I give it so, an yeah. A. I I give it a B, maybe even a B minus, honestly. Um, And now let's talk about the book I wish I could give a better rating. Let's do it. Okay, Robbie Reyes. Robbie Reyes, for me, is the best character in the Marvel Universe. I've never loved a fictional character the way I loved him. I didn't even read him. I made a snap decision. It's so embarrassing. Somebody one time said to me, do you like Ghost Rider? And I was like, no. And they were like, no, he's a young Latino who takes care of his disabled brother. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess I love him. And I repeated that to my husband. And then I repeated it to some friends. And they told two friends. And before I knew it, two friends. Yeah, I told like a dozen people that I love this character having never read him. And then I read him. And if you're asking me to grade, not this, but all new Ghost Rider, number one, written by the same guy, but drawn by Trad Moore, who is like literally the best penciler in the world. Uh, if you need to see how good Trad Moore is, you should check out The Strange Tale of Luther Strode, which is by far one of the most beautifully drawn image comics of all time. J.R.J.R. gave birth to an artist in Trad Moore, unlike any other. Um, anyway. Uh, Ghost Rider Robbie Reyes is a tough sell. That first issue, his brother is just sort of like, hey, yo, he's disabled. And um, that first issue, Robbie's just sort of like, hey, essay. And it's rough. And it's because Marvel Editorial didn't understand how to edit a voice so natural, so true, so real. So Robbie himself winds up suffering. There's a lot of really beautiful honest to the experience parts of Robbie's story that come across like tropism. This five issue series is the first time Robbie gets to be a superhero and not just the unfortunate byproduct of what I'm going to refer to as like guest writer syndrome or co-starring syndrome. Anytime a writer who's been like, Hey, I'm a writer and I'm so excited to come to the Marvel universe. I got all this story in me. It always features huge amounts of recognizable elements of the Marvel Universe, as though to say, hey, I might not have another opportunity to write in this universe, so I want to touch all of the things I want to touch, like perhaps Coulson and May, and a reference to the new Fantastic Four showing up in the pages of Robbie Reyes' Ghost Rider, which should have been a celebration of Robbie Reyes, but I counted and Amadeus Cho has more pages in the first two issues. 
which I could even forgive because, because Amadeus Cho is the greatest version of the Hulk to ever be alive. Yes. Um, Robbie gets more. No, I really, I do agree. I think he's fantastic. He's incredible. Um, yeah. Robbie gets more character development, and we do. We are clearly in Robbie's book, and there is so much Gabe. Gabe yeah. gets sidelined as the forgotten. Like it's almost like. When you say Wolverine, Wolverine goes, and I got that past, you know. And everybody goes, oh, right. Rubs your shoulder. The past. Yep. But like, it's sort of like when a Robbie Reyes book happens, everybody's like, oh, your inexplicably handicapped brother. Oh, it sounds hard for you. Instead of being like your brother, a legitimate human being with disabilities who we've seen have dates, relationships, desires, wants, passions. He plays a secondary role to Robbie. It's really unfortunate as a person with an invisible disability. It really affects me that the Latino character that I see myself in the most, Robbie Reyes, is touched by disability. I just wish it wasn't like, he's touched by disability. And that it wasn't so like, your brother, this burden that you put up with so gracefully. Uh, and... <laughs> yeah what a hero what a hero and like the brother gets yelled at and cries which i just hated you know this is somebody who oftentimes the book is like they live amongst serious gang violence uh you think this kid is crying because a dude at a car shop yelled at him uh, and maybe he is, but then you need to show this kid also show strength and resilience in the face of that, not just the weakness and the moment of magic. I mean, there's a thing where, like, uh, some people, when they get angry, they cry. Um, and when I get angry, I laugh. And people are always like, stop laughing. And I'm like, if I stop laughing, it's punch you to death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm not dissimilar. Um and you know, just like this is a this is not a kid who's scared. That and that's the thing is that crying was like I got yelled at. I'm scared that he snapped at me. This is like a 14 year old kid. Like that didn't happen. That's incorrect. If you're uh, 14 years old and you have a disability, you have learned more about the world than some yeah. people will ever know. People tried to hit you with your car like eight times already with their car like eight times already, and you just lived through it every time every kid at school has made fun of you you have been told that you don't get to play any of the sports you can't do any of the things i walked on a cane for two years in high school and the number of kids that tried to kick my cane just because it was funny is an actual thing that will always live in my brain and this is yeah. not dissimilar to the um you think this is how like a badass would dress now like you've you've missed the point that like it's not eight years ago a rockabilly girl is not going to be the thing you've missed the point that we it's not I mean, disabled characters were never like this but it's not even acceptable to write them this way at this point i mean it, I, you know it never was it's not even on trend right. uh at this point we already know if you want to write a disabled character, you talk about how their disability makes their life different than yours. You don't talk about how they're so vulnerable. It's so uh, hard to be disabled. No, guys, I'm telling you, when I was the strongest kid in the waiting room, 
And, you know, whatever medical ward I was in, and I was the healthiest, strongest kid, I was the weakest emotionally because the yeah. kids who had it harder were so much stronger. And this idea that every kid with a physical disability is always just waiting to cry, damn, you don't know what a cancer ward is like. And, like, Robbie is kind of an emotional dude that doesn't want to be a ghost rider. Truly, he's not, great, like, great. he's not logan and johnny levels of like i've seen it all his thing is like i'm not even supposed to be here today and so i think that much more interesting relationship is robbie is older a provider and does have to physically take care of his brother and make sure that he is provided for gabe is stronger gabe has already in 14 years been to hell uh yes, and it's gabe wakes up in hell every fucking morning and it's very different than the hell that Robbie is experiencing. And this is why they're great brothers. And this should be the story. And we just sort of miss it here. Uh, that said, what we do get is a Fantastic Four that really could work. Um, I just wish that it had been named like the Teen, like the Teen-tastic Four or something. Yep. Because like, if you sold this to me as Cho, yep. Kinney. Reyes and Moon. Yep. That four names. Yep. That's my book. Yep. Uh I, you know, I know Amadeus is already associated with the champions. I think that's great. Um like there's a weird thing where like Laura by dint of Teen Cyclops has an in with the champions. I don't know. This just this could all really work. I also think like uh if they're all 20 to 24 uh and it's like it's not the teen tastics it's like the the college age tastic for um you know just like because we do we we can do adult books and we can do teen books and how we go to shield university a floating helicarrier yeah that shows interest in super kids yep. maybe even possibly trying to reform some super vigilantes yep Ah, oh, God, dude, I just wish you were in charge of the Marvel Universe. I say it all the time. You're a great writer. The words you say are beautiful. But your vision for character future, your editorship, is what I'm hoping that Marvel will understand is the future of this stuff. Not so much people saying, these are the words I want to write. Because for some reason, Dr. Teeth is every writer at the Marvel Universe. But rather, hey, somebody, who's <laughs> rather somebody who says, I want a shepherd. I just want to see these characters come to their most beautiful fruition. And that is what I want. That's what I really love. And I think what you see here is a really good start to something. But it also is its immediate end. Uh, you know, looking at this, I'm heartbroken that Laura never helped the all writer deal with what went on in um, Aaron's Avengers. I'm heartbroken that Amadeus never showed up because uh, the way they used Jen was terrible. And I actually think Jen and Amadeus also could have been an interesting thing. Uh, well, also, let me just challenge that that yeah. kind of goes back to that whole thing I was saying where the Marvel Universe needs to take all of its characters and say, yeah, because this is actually kind of hard to say for me as a Cuban man, as a queer man, as Honestly, as a guy who sort of sees himself as maybe separate from people who don't believe in science above religion, I I see myself as like unable to connect with people of certain groups. 
right? I think Amadeus Cho is more an X-Man than he is anything else. An X-Man is a sense of the familial bond you feel. It's a sense of the responsibility to the betterment of the universe in spite of being hated. Hulks are mutants. They just happen to be mutants who were triggered into mutancy, but Hulks are treated like monsters. Amadeus Cho, as a member of the same new mutants that has room for the queen of our everything, Kamala Khan, is exactly what I'm here for. That is my future of the Marvel Universe. Amadeus Cho could be an X-Man and every single one of us would be better for it. Yeah, I could absolutely see him um, alongside the X-Men uh, inhabiting a role like the Juggernaut does. Or like uh, a Beast does when he's yeah. not off being a supervillain. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, this sets up a really great quad. Doesn't write them very well. Doesn't put them in the middle of a great plot. Uh, and draws them really weirdly you know the art inconsistencies here is something that i actually feel like the marvel universe works much harder to avoid these days yes part of the nature of the marvel universe desire to have an overwhelming number of visualizations is then then if you google you're going to find some version of the character you love whether it's by um sana tanaka or it's by JRJR to reference Mephisto, the nature of having more people drawing a book means that more people's art is then findable. This mm -hmm. is nothing that early artistry in the Marvel Universe ever considered. So early Marvel artistry focused more on the consistency of voice. You had people like Dan Green coming in and doing beautiful fill-in issues, but always had that tonality of fill-in. I think... When you look at Venom and you see that breadth of artistry, you see Marvel attempting to hit a million fans. When you look at Ghost Rider, this this five-issue series, which, by the way, six was canceled after being created. So that's just never seen the light of day. But a bummer. They do that to Ghost Rider way too much. <sighs> but the other ones have seen release because they were 20 years ago and that meant them, you know, that meant they were cool for legacy. That meant that they were available. That meant that these issues were acceptable to the idea of the past as opposed to like two years ago. Well, those are just garbage. We canceled those. But if we canceled it 20 years ago, maybe we've thought better of it. I don't know. I think that is ne that is necessarily the relationship with Ghost Rider because one of the things about Ghost Rider is it's always edgy. It's always hardcore. And if edgy changes every two years, how do you log edgy two years in advance? I would love to know how many plots Ben Percy has submitted for this Ghost Rider series, whether it continues on in the same numbering or it gets a new number one because there's going to reach a point where like, if his Wolverine had gone on the trajectory it was originally in, you know, originally meant for pre-pandemic with the original Hawkspox vision, we should be on like Wolverine 55 by now. Was this the plot for Wolverine 36? Or was this the plot for Wolverine 55? How many issues of Ghost Rider did we lose? You know, when I think about this run, 
this does feel like the next five issues of that original all-new Ghost Rider series, but it feels like they were told, write in some characters that'll sell a book. Nobody reads about a Latino boy possessed by his weird perverted uncle uh, driving a car. So find something we can sell. And he said, a Wolverine, a Spider-Man, a Hulk, and also the first interpretation of Robbie Reyes that really connects with me. I give this, you know, I, I shared my experience about Robbie Reyes earlier. That first whole 12 issues, I give a D at best. Robbie Reyes, I always give an A, but that series, a D. This series, I comfortably give it a B minus. And I know that sounds maybe a little detrimental, but if you consider a C to represent average, I say this is a little bit above average and gave birth to Marvel Voices and the Marvel Legacy line that birthed Robbie Reyes, the Avenger, who would go on to be an A-plus character. TK, this is the five issues that make that possible for Jason Aaron. I've asked you to read more Jason Aaron than anyone in the entire Marvel Universe. How does it read feeling? How does it feel reading the five issues that indicated the future that Jason Aaron predicted for this character who has gone on to be multiversally powerful? I think on the positive, generous side, it is clear. <laughs> it's clear that this team sees something in Robbie. They see a hero. Uh, I don't feel I see the seeds here of what Aaron is going to do. Um, I don't know. What if I rephrase it as this is the first time you see Ghost Rider as a teammate to people of bigger stature, although not necessarily bigger power than him. I do like that. Yep. For that. That's some serious B plus vibes, A minus vibes. Yeah, man. Um, I'm just like Jason Aaron might be the greatest mathematics history writing professor. If you could fuse it into one big fusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's comics, you know, comics um, infrastructure planning. Uh, man, that's the class we should be teaching at NYU. Yes. Right? Really and truly is send everybody to the medical center. Uh <sighs> There is what is an already established idea that is paid homage to, which is that Robbie is a big brother and a hero. Uh, we love that. That idea gets fucked with in that Gabe is sort of treated like a wounded baby bird. We don't love that. There is Robbie plays well against others. We love that. There is this book does not put Robbie and the team into the best situation to maximize how fun it should be that these guys are all together. Ugh, we don't MVP like that situation in the entire world. You know, I so rarely, cause I was just kind of checked out on a lot of stuff. I so rarely have been there for the stuff that features Colson as a recognizable analog to agent of shield Colson, which I love that Colson. I love Melinda may. I think Melinda may should be running shield right now and should have her own book. Um, 
I so like I should be excited about that, but I'm not because this is weird. I don't care about this villain that looks vaguely like it should be involved in something with Dream Spider. Uh, who it I, looks that, like it should be a bad guy in Final Fantasy VII. Yes, 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 yes. So like everything that I'm like, yeah, that's good. There is an equal and opposite. Yeah, that's bad. So this is really, if I'm being generous, this is a B minus. Um, the, I, I love that we have very different grades for some of this stuff. You know, yeah. I mostly just try to be you. So sometimes our grades are identical because I'm like, what would he think? But, you know, it is cool when like our unique experiences that have influenced us lead us to giving these things different grades. So please yeah. don't ever be like, oh, no, I'm going to be butthurt. No, I never think that. I never worry about that. Um, you know, there are putting these four together. That's an A plus idea. 100%. That is an A plus idea. Nailed it. That's not something I think a lot of people would have thought of. So that is a unique A plus idea. Um, even like these three, maybe, but adding Cindy Moon to the mix, I don't know that anybody would have thought of that. So yeah, A plus idea. I think you maybe didn't pick a situation that I love for them. And I could set aside that. That's a B idea. But the pacing of how we get to that B idea drags the story way down so that it's not as good that they're kind of like oh robbie reyes nice to meet you we're going to get as far away from you as possible now for no real reason like no not even like a good comic booky reason like the comic booky thing to do would have been to keep them together so that they were you know participating in each other's stories and but you some, could have team up issues and you could yeah. make a title and it would only last six issues but you could have it written by chip zadarsky with covers by the dodsons yeah completely you nailed it. I, like, um, I can literally see that future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you know, this wasn't this wasn't all that for me. But if Marvel let me pitch the the Fantasticer four, my my thank you page would say I I could never have gotten there without this run, and uh, you know this this started something really important. I actually, you know, I want to take what you're saying, and I, I hate to add a seventh slide because I can't do it. Do a seventh slide. Here's my question for you. Yeah. I think if you gave me, like, Wolverine and Dan Kitch, mm -hmm. I'd be like, sure. But if you gave me these three characters, these four characters, Cindy Moon, Amadeus Cho, Laura Kinney, and the breathtaking Robbie Ray as my absolute, like, tied with Jean Grey and Logan, Daredevil, number one in the entire Marvel Universe. I just think they're interesting. Yeah. If you were to give me a TV show of Bruce Banner, Logan, uh, I guess it has to be Dan Ketch, not Johnny Blaze, because he was the one used there, and Peter Parker... I would think it's cool, but I would give it two seasons on NBC. If you give me these four characters, I'm giving it eight years on ABC. And that's, I think, the thing that I am most eager to know more about in the generation of writers that have crafted Ghost Riders and Wolverines and Hulks and Spider-Men like these. You know, do I wish we had made this a seven-hour episode and covered all of the appearances of the new Fantastic Four? Sure, because I like looking at Kevo and TK all the time. But do I think that is necessarily the focal point here? No. 
I think if you spend too much time thinking about Logan and Laura and Peter and short, you know, David Bruce Banner, then you're going to find yourself a little bit short on what this team up represents. But these characters in Ghost Rider by, you know, uh, the incredible team that this is actually most of the team that created Robbie Reyes. I just find myself dazzled. This is not a good book. This is five issues that. But this team, man, I would read them do any story. This would be a great Starfleet team, a great Star Wars ship, and even a great Gundam. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is something about the. And I am in a very anime place. One Piece literally changed my life this week. I'm going to read every X-Men comic differently, knowing that, like, in some ways, X-Men inspired One Piece, and then One Piece re-inspired X-Men. Life is different. But, man, this is my team of heroes. This is for people who represent the ideality, the ideology, and the idealism that I look for from young heroes in the Marvel Universe. I completely see that. And, you know, I'm not really interested in what Danny or Johnny, you know, Logan, Bruce, Danny or Johnny, whoever you want, and Peter. That's just four white guys. Uh, Great. Da- David Zazalov wears spandex. Great. Yeah. You know, like if you wanted to give me like. Uh, Bob Iger in spandex. <laughs> if you yeah. wanted to do like a daddy daycare or like, um, you know, some really like bad mom's christmas but with dads like something just completely God, out i there. want your warner brothers library too jesus bad moms at christmas starring dads the number i mean and they're and they're books. superheroes um so you know if you want to if you if you have to have it be these four boring cishet white guys who have been doing this for 60 years then you better give me a really stupid, funny concept. Like again, bad moms at Christmas, but it's dads. Like, and it's dads, and they're the the superheroes. If you want to give Uncle me a sh- Easter, if you want to give me a four team superhero at the height of their like, let's do itness, then yeah, you better give me something like this. Uh, you better give me you know, people of color, a balance of men and women, plausibly not everybody is heterosexual. Unfortunately, uh, everybody's going to be pretty standard gender identities, but whatever. I mean, that doesn't even have to be the case, frankly. It just, you know, it will be. This is uh, the foremost bisexual characters you can put in, in, like, in a single book without any of them being canonically bisexual. Yeah, you could you if you just said it for any of them, you would be all set. I also think any of these characters, if you said they were, uh, you know, at most non non uh, like boat rocking, if you said they were they felt gender nonconforming, you know, Laura is somebody who I could see completely still having been born uh, female, you know, often presenting as female, but saying that she prefers not to use female pronouns you know they prefer they pronouns that's something i can absolutely see for laura she's of the age she's of the life well um they includes both i can see somebody like amadeus cho saying i wish there was a genderless pronoun that didn't include both i'm a hulk 
Right. I'm a monster. Yep. Not that a monster is a bad thing, but we've never given a monster a better pronoun. Yep. We only use the noun monster. Yep. Why haven't we created something beautiful for me and Jen and Bruce, who yep. are all people? Uh, yeah, who, you know, Jen, the part of the hell of Jen's life is that nobody can see her as feminine because she's big and has muscles. So, Except like, you when know, they think she's the human version of China. Oh, China's the human. Except when they think she's the Hulk version of China. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way like and that's a way that you, you know this fictional show that we're making up that i want to watch is them having these conversations i just don't see it ever happening with the original spider-man hulk uh uh ghost rider and wolverine that's okay i know that that's how it is marvel's a company you know we're just never going to do it with them but okay that's fine you've given me four that we can do it with and this is the compromise that fans have to make you are really likely not getting uh, a trans Wolverine canonically, you know, a trans Logan. I know some of us really see that. And like the idea of this hot, hairy man who uh, was assigned female at birth is like totally plausible and real. It works with so much of like superhero. Just take a picture of Fortune Feimster and take a picture of Logan and overlap them and tell <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, we all know we're never getting that. And that's, we all got to suck that up and deal with it. But we could have a Laura who is gender non-conforming, who maybe is trans. And so we've, we've, we've got to meet in the middle with this stuff. We've got to see where the opportunities are to allow for these conversations to happen. And then accept that it's not always going to be the, the most important characters because in a capitalist society people are not going to always let go of that stuff that's okay i would love to see those types of stories with these four characters i think they would be so cool and i you know i would watch them in an adult oriented animated show i would see it as an ongoing i just there's i see a lot there and let me just take that a step further, not to add already nope. more to Please. the two minutes and 30 seconds were over. But I think that's even part of what I hope for from a future Marvel Universe. Yeah. I don't want you to take away the safe grounding that so many people find who they are in it. Look, I cut my teeth on vanilla but you know eventually you discover chocolate chip cookie dough and you're like ding or mint chocolate chip or rocky road whatever your interpretation of that happiness is i as the queer poly dom whatever i want marvel to keep publishing the most vanilla stories in the world because my dad is so so fucking vanilla my dad thinks tahitian vanilla is exotic and so when he reads the Marvel Universe, he wants it to look like Walt Simonson and he wants it to read like Walt Simonson. I want those stories to continue. But TK, what you've said is a radical departure from that. I just want them both to exist. Yeah. And the reality is you could have that both. Yep. You could tell me that the ultimate universe exists within the confines of the 616. Now, I don't think 1606 and 616 can coexist, but something that radically 
tonally departure it is could exist in that same world. So for me, this conversation only reminded me why I dream of the day Marvel gives me a Wolverine or Ghost Rider title. I hold these characters in the same regard I hold Daredevil, in the same regard I hold the Phoenix, in the same regard that, you know, I hold, as I've said repeatedly this episode, Robbie Reyes as a real man, not just the Ghost Rider. But the big thing comes from Marvel saying, look, Ben Percy did the safe version of what we need in Weapons of Vengeance, but the next step is going to be the unsafe version. You know, Chris Claremont gave us the safe version of E is for Extinction in the No More Mutants uh, evolutionary war sort of high evolutionary turned off all mutancy story. But in that six month gap, he didn't do enough with the story that really pushed the Marvel Universe forward. So while Revolution birthed one title out of three, it wasn't what we needed. I think the Marvel Universe has sat with its gears spinning, seeing things like Spider-Verse, seeing things like the Hoxpox era, and seeing things like even the great rise of Jason Aaron's high-selling Avengers, even if it wasn't a critical darling. And they have to say, okay, it's a different Marvel Universe. I only hope that we get to enjoy, experience, and frankly, as, as a writer with a GLAD award... <laughs> and being the incredible co-writer of these two beautiful, brilliant men, I only hope that it's writers like us who get the opportunity to reshape the Marvel Universe so that the brilliant work that creates characters like Laura and Robbie Reyes and Kushala and even Dan Ketch from Johnny Blaze gets to be continued. Bill Clinton once said in 1992 on MTV, I do not want to be the man who is president the day that this generation does worse than their forefathers. And that's what I want from the Marvel Universe. And he wasn't. George W. Bush was. Well, you know, but uh, <laughs> very accurate. I am also the Dixie Chicks and I am also done playing nice. The Chicks. Oh, truth. Yeah. I keep doing that. Man, I so I, I, I honestly I get why they got rid of it, but I liked the I I think it's subversive. Anyway. Well, you know what? I think that that means the Tori Amos song is just called So, um, for my sake, I really hope that Marvel says, "Hey, look at this generation of people with spending capital now. Am I the richest man in the world? No. I am no Jeff Bezos." And that is of course a man who is made out of hair swallowed, right? But I am a man with some spending capital, and I spend my money on this product. I spend my money on what the Marvel Universe means. I just hope they see that my world includes characters like Robbie Reyes, Laura Kinney, Amadeus Cho, and Cindy Moon, as much as it includes incredible characters like Logan and Johnny Blaze, who made this crossover my second favorite thing we read tonight. TK, I really... I always thought I was going to be a Punisher boy, right? Uh, not because Punisher's hot, but because I kind of want to like torture him for every horrible thing he's done with nipple clamps. So I never thought that I was going to be a Ghost Rider guy. The way I was like, hey, we want to read some Ghost Rider, and you're like, this is my universe. Get everything else out of the way. Was really amazing. And I want to know what this episode meant to you 
as not just a reader of Ghost Rider, but somebody who gave that franchise new life to me. Someone who had read a hundred plus issues before I even ever met you. Well, one big thing that this has been is like, I was a Ghost Rider person because I was a Kushala person because of you. Like that's, that's the thing that you asked us to read. Uh, we did, we did an issue and like with a big basis for that issue was the Ghost Rider Infinity comic about Kushala. Something else came out. I'm, I can't even remember anymore, but it was around that. And that was where I was like, I think like, it was the, Kush uh, it was the Kushala Infinity comic plus the Dan Catch one shot. Which Dan Catch one shot? Oh no, uh, the Johnny Blaze one shot. It was like a Kushala one shot, a Johnny yeah, Blaze one yes. shot, and a four part Kushala. Infinity it's the Kushala comic. Infinity comic, and then it's the Johnny Blaze and Kushala shows up and they meet at the cafe that uh, Taboo. Yes. And, yeah. So that's why we did it, and um, I was like, "This is this is what it's about." Like this. This Kushala is what being a ghost rider is all about. You're talking about a spirit of vengeance and somebody who's wrestling with that stuff. Uh, so I was a, really a Kushala person. And then I started to see how ghost riders can be something more than flaming skulls on a motorcycle in 1991. Uh, and I'm a huge, not horror movie person i'm a huge horror person when it is not human centipede or saw or you know martyrs or begotten uh i'm a huge horror podcast person 80 the vich for every one saw so when percy who i have really liked as a as a horror writer book writer uh novel writer uh started doing this ghost rider run and i started seeing his horror sensibilities get infused into johnny blaze and really start to fulfill a promise that marvel has been making uh or has been failing to live up to since the 70s which is the idea of the horror comic that is actually like horror and isn't just a spooky edgy yeah well it's definitely not spooky it's not just definitely not just spooky and it's not just trying to be edgy it's not trying to be you know watch danny catch melt his own face off to become ghost rider which is cool actually but like that's not that's one really small thing that's not edginess in the same way that adam extreme cutting you and then electrifying your blood isn't really hardcore either right These are exactly fine but i'm not like oh man that was awesome i'm like that's a little silly uh you know percy really fulfilled a lot of the promise of graphic novel horror for marvel other people have been doing graphic novels long before but marvel has never really managed hey, to get it right you're not degrading anyone else by saying that ben percy has managed to get it right under an incredibly extensive editorial contract yeah so i had these two things and you know from there i'm just like yeah this is this is a franchise that has legs as promise uh you know i get into the um Aaron Avengers run, which gives us another Ghost Rider and kind of a whole other element to the whole thing. And I'm just pulling together these little pieces that make up my stained glass patchwork idea of the Ghost Rider. And this is the first time that I've really stood back and looked at that 
stained glass for the first time and really sort of said like what am i actually looking at here uh you know i had elements from the past i had elements from the present uh and i think you know kind of with percy you also really have the future like what's possible and even you know the future what's possible with the the this fearsome foursome um so this really was an opportunity to be like take stock of everything that you have come that has come to bear for you about these characters since you started doing this kind of extensive work and figure out what it all really means really succinctly uh and it's been really fun to do um i i you know i i really do have a love for all these characters and uh more than ever i just i see the potential and not just the potential for what exists but the potentiality for someone to come in and say hey i was inspired mm -hmm. like i think one of the hardest parts is that kushala has only been written by like four people at this point and while one of them is taboo who has made such a mark on the marvel universe as a king of horror as a king of the surreal if Chris Claremont hadn't connected with Wolverine so uniquely if it had just been a Tom DeFalco just making Wolverine tough I don't know that we would have the legend we have today and I only hope that somebody like a TK comes along and says Ghost Rider Wolverine man am I ready to evolve this mythology Kevo you have hung in for 2 hours 28 minutes and 36 seconds and that is like a lot of time Rent would write a song about it. So what is your big takeaway from Wolverine, Ghost Rider, this whole vengeance spirits kill all the people thing? They are very angry boys. Man, and you know something about loving angry boys. So I think if even Kevo can find... <laughs> If even Kevo can find heart, uh, find room in his heart for these characters, I think then everybody can find heart, as I just tried to say, for these characters. You know, Kevo, until you find yourself the biggest vengeance demon ever, I think uh, your vengeance demon is Anya from Buffy. And uh, our next episode is going to be taking a glorious look at 1993, one of the most influential years on pop culture. 30 years so it ago. seems. Yeah, right? 30 years ago now, thanks to your suggestion, until we come back to take a look at 1993, what's your big takeaway from today? Comics. Yes, same. So until everybody else wants to comics, <laughs> uh, as we listen to my mix of the x-men theme song uh leading up to x-men 97 where can everybody find you oh yeah you can check me out on eco action but uh i'm only half as cute as the two guys next to me kevo where can everybody find you on the interwebs you can find me on the interwebs at kevo really that's k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y t-k the dancing man where can people find you you can find me at TK Elemental. Nico, where can everybody find you? You know, you can find me at Nico Action, but I'm really finding it empowering to talk about how much this show has made it possible for me to talk about my music. I'm so grateful to these two men, my two incredible partners who love me and support me and tell me that I am worth it 
for pushing my music out there. So you're going to be able to find all of my music all over YouTube, all over SoundCloud. But for the interim, you can check me out at Nico J. Vasillo on uh, SoundCloud. Oh, and Nico Action. Don't worry. You can find my name via Nico Action. So you'll find me, right? But until we come back to investigate 1993, which really, guys, you have no idea how influential 1983 was on pop culture. And yeah, I it turns out everything happened in 1993 oh and nothing God. has happened since. It's just like 1993 and then Avengers Endgame and yep. nothing else. Nothing else. But until then, you guys have three responsibilities. Number yep. one, I need you guys to stay strong. It's a hard world, right? But number two, be brave. It's a tough one. And evolve daily, right? Every day, be a better version of yourself. And that means when we see you guys on Sunday, you'll be three days better people. Ha, huh, I hope I am, right? So until we're all three days better people, stay safe, be brave, evolve daily, and we'll see ya.